On today's show, we are getting to know Coach John. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The links in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. And Coach John is coming to us from apparently frozen in Arkansas. Thank you uh, so much for staying inside and uh, coming on the pod, man. I really appreciate you letting people get to know you. Thanks for having me, Coach. I really appreciate it. And we're definitely iced in. That's that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> you were t- so I'm from Southern Delaware, and Southern Delaware we're used to this. <laughs> we're used to the cold. But half an inch of snow, and we basically get two snow days in school. And the little bit you were telling me about Arkansas being snowed in, I couldn't imagine those southern states dealing with shit like that. Like, especially like southern Delaware is flat. I don't know if you guys have mountains and curves and tight roads without like shoulders, but that seems to kill us, the country roads. Yeah, we do. We got a lot of little, little small mountains around here, I guess, like rolling hills, I guess you call them. But yeah, it's, uh, kind of the kind of got some valleys and peaks for sure and and yeah weather's weather around here especially if it's ice snow is not quite as bad but with the ice it gets pretty dicey so dude it's free it's it's freaky when i go up to somewhere like pennsylvania and you go up a mountain or a hill and you don't see where like the car is going to come down you know you like reach that point and you like really for us it's like delawareans we like hope the road is on the other side and i can't imagine dealing with that um ice wise like just fearing my death 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so I don't remember why I tweet. I don't remember the tweet that caught my attention. I probably should take better notes. But then as I social media stalk you, you were like hella motivational. <laughs> I'm going through your wow. tweets, man. And I'm like, I'm getting fired up and I'm loving the perspective um, that you put out there for people. It, it's super, super positive and super, super like advice that's solid to me anyway, is really solid advice that I think if players adhere to, they can almost feel less pressure about, I got to score so many points. I got to be this man. You're very team oriented. It seems like you're very success work process oriented more so than like go out there and get all tournament, go out there, be all state, go out there, get your stats kind of stuff. And I immediately was curious about like a little bit about your upbringing and how you had that mentality and how someone who, hit 16 three-pointers in a high school game, <laughs> how they got that kind of mentality. Well, I think, I think just with experience, I think it started at an early age with my, with my family and my upbringing and, and them, you know, it's almost crazy because I, I look at the sports parents of today and I'm amazed because my parents were the opposite of that. They were just supportive. I, I mean, my dad didn't even know much about basketball. My mom, the same, they, um, they grew up playing different sports and they were just supportive, always taking me to places. We didn't really talk about games afterwards. It wasn't, it's, it's so different from the parents that I see today. So I think it kind of started, you know, there, but then it just, through my own experiences, I see people that get kind of wrapped up. Their identity becomes, you know, they're an athlete or whatever that is. And they only find value in how well they score or how well they played and they're getting pressure from parents a lot of times especially in the high school and and junior high it's so much pressure from parents and then you start to you know you you become a college athlete become a college coach and you start coaching high school and and you just realize how much pressure is on kids to perform and how much their identity is wrapped up in are they performing well in sports um i even know kids that i've coached in the past even kids that i coach now that they don't even have conversations much with their parents unless it's involved sports. And it's, um, it's, it's so sad to see. And so I just think with my tweets, I started saying, how can I, how can I add value being a guy that's lived it and played, you know, college basketball, been fortunate enough to earn a scholarship and play. It's like, how can I be that voice of reason that my, like my parents were, you know, I have a platform where I can help help student athletes understand that hey man you're you're created by god it's got nothing to do with how well you perform at a basketball game it really doesn't and it's short-lived anyway and so if you can get kids to see kind of the big picture that sports aren't going to last you know you know a lot of people say forever they're not even going to last close to forever not they're not going to last long at all and so if you can use sports to kind of help refine you as a person and help you you know learn the traits the values all the different things that are going to help you you know, in life, I think that's the, that's the biggest value to come from sports. And, and, uh, it's, it's always going to be a battle because you, you know, you have this, um, you know, look at me and what I did and social media world of me, me, me. But, um, I, I think just, you know, using my platform on Twitter to try to help kids understand the big picture is kind of what I, is what I've kind of aimed for. Is it received pretty well? Like, do you wind up getting conversations? Do you get random comments and stuff like that? Or do you just feel you're like shouting into a wilderness and hearing echoes? Yeah, no, I think it is. I think for the most part, a lot of people understand that 
what I'm doing is trying to help them and I'm trying to let them see the big picture. And so I think it is perceived, you know, you're going to have those people that they're not going to even, you know, ever like or comment on anything unless it's to argue, unless it's to, you know, and, and that's okay. I, I love those kind of people as well. And I'm very open-minded. I like to see their point of view and I respect their opinion. Well, it but sharpens your, I'm sorry to cut you off, but it like sharpens you, right? Like when you argue with people, it's not a terrible thing to argue it because it makes you have to make sure your current opinion is sound. Like you can back it up. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love the, I love the openness and, and I like to see it from their point of view as well. I just don't always necessarily agree, but I, I respect everybody's opinion. And I think that's another thing on social media. I'm not going to get into the arguing and the back and forth and the, you know, the pettiness. I just kind of make a point and we move on and, and go about it. And, and I tell people, Hey, if you're, if you're really upset about, you know, the last post, Hey, there'll be another one in a few hours. So don't, don't freak out too bad. <laughs> just like a game. Hey man, if you had a bad game, it's almost like an AU tournament, right? Like, Hey dude, we got a game in three yeah. hours, rest up, grab some McDonald's and um, that's it. Maybe, relax. maybe I'll make a post that you actually like and agree with soon. So, <laughs> and dude, I just, I, I thought about this and I'm, I'm sorry. I might probably should have started with it. Do you mind giving the listeners like a little bit of your background in coaching? And that'll probably help people understand a bit more and me about the team mentality and how you develop that. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a small town in Southeast Missouri and there's, there's not a whole lot in Southeast Missouri. You know, you have to kind of dra- travel two and a half, three hours South to hit to Memphis and probably about an hour and a half North to hit to St. Louis. And there's not much, you know, in between, um, you know, farmland, small towns that are, that have, that have kind of died, you know, obviously, um, you know, since the, you know, sixties and seventies, they just kind of slowly phased out. Um, not a lot of people from where I'm from, but, you know, I always say that's a great time to, to work on your game. We also <laughs> had, did have that small kind of, you know, Hey, everybody on a Friday nights at the football game, everybody on a Tuesday and Friday nights at basketball games. And so we had that, I grew up in a small town of about 5,000 people, and, um, you know, sports were kind of it for that small town community. And, um, you know, you, you, you grow up playing everything, um, you know, everybody, you know, it's, uh, just one of those little small communities where you're playing every sport, you know, pretty much, uh, you just go season to season. So I grew, I grew up playing everything you can play. I swam competitively. I played football. I played baseball, basketball. Dude, swimmers, um, and, I, not to interrupt, kind of to interrupt you, but not to rudely interrupt <laughs> you. Um, swimmers are built different, man. The, the yeah, early morning wake up. I built a lot of a competitive, you know, competitive nature. Um, it's one of those things where it's team because you're parts of relays and you're part of the team total, but you also have that individual like just, you know, I gotta, I gotta try to be the best I can be and try to compete. And so, yeah, I was in a lot of competitive sports. I even ran track, um, you know, I competed on a lot of different, you know, levels of different things. And then as I got into high school, I started to gravitate towards just, just playing basketball. And so I think by the 10th grade, I'd given up everything. Uh, I think 10th grade, I ran track that year. And then that was the last time I ran track in my junior and senior year. I just focused solely on basketball. And, and that was only because number one, I loved it. But number two, I started getting a lot of scholarship opportunities, and I thought, you know, why, why do anything else? I really want to deep dive into this and be the best player I can be. And so, um, it was tough, you know, it was tough not going out for track that junior year. I, I just decided to play travel basketball instead. But, um, you know, that's kind of where my background started. And then um, I was fortunate enough to earn a scholarship to play at Arkansas State, which they're in the Sun Belt Conference, a Division One school, and it was. Um, 
far enough away from home, but close enough, you know, where I could see my family. My family could see me play and um, really enjoyed the coaching staff. They went to the NCAA tournament and had some success the year before. And so signed my letter of intent and um, started started playing there in the 99-2000 season. And I played there for four years, finished up um, my undergrad and the coaching staff said, Hey, come, come be on our coaching staff. We want you to be a graduate assistant coach. And at that time, you know, I was thinking about a, a few other graduate assistant opportunities at a different school, maybe to learn a little bit different philosophy and be under some other coaches. But at the same time, it was comfortable. I knew that I knew the team and, um, I took the opportunity to become a graduate assistant coach. And so, um, I was a graduate assistant coach for a few years, got my master's degree and learned a heck of a lot. I was you know, very fortunate to get a lot of, wear a lot of different hats and be, you know, behind the scenes. And, uh, I think playing there really helped me, you know, they, they knew me, they trusted me, they were comfortable. And so I got to be a part of literally everything you can be, of. and, uh, most GAs these days don't get to be that fortunate, you know, they're just in charge of certain little things here and there, but I was literally just a all purpose guy did everything you could think of. And so I think that helped me and that kind of jumpstarted my, my career. I took a a middle school and high school job after that had some success and then uh, started coaching girls and then coached both for a number of years and um gosh so i've coached aau i've coached girls high school girls junior high high school uh boys and girls everything you can think of and obviously the grad assistant experience in college and so um, that led me up until my training, which I started, you know, about four and a half years ago now. And I've just, so pretty much basketball my entire life. <laughs> dude, it's a great, no wonder you're so young. Like, dude, I was looking, you said you started playing college in 99. Like I graduated in 99 from high school and I'm looking at my beard compared to yours. And it made me feel like I need some more just for men or something. I was like, dude, like, but like, that's part of what I, so I coach middle school basketball boys and it gets me through winter. It kind of keep it, you get a good little sweat in every day. It keeps you young because you've got that like vibe and energy. And if you can make a living doing it, man, I, I feel like that's pretty awesome. You're playing every day, but getting paid in a way. It, that's, that's really cool. You're able to find that niche. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, I get to work with all different levels of athletes now. There's not really an age. I just, you know, discount. I just pretty much go you know, with anybody that wants to come and, and get better. But, um, but yeah, middle school boys, that's a, that's a good age to coach that they'll do anything you want They're They'll run through a wall and they're, um, I remember those days had a lot of good memories from those days. So that's a good age to coach. You, um, so now are you just straight training? So on your Twitter, I thought I had seen a couple like pure sweat t-shirts and I'm familiar with yep. Drew. Um, yep. Coach Matt, I don't know if you scrolled through the pod, but coach Matt Pugh was on, I think he was one of my, first 20 guests when I was getting this started during COVID. Um, yes. I know you guys. Matt and I are great friends. Oh, are you really? We were, yeah. Yeah. And I worked for Pure Sweat for four years. So yeah, it was a great time. And um, I've been, it's been a little bit over a year since I haven't been with him. I'm just kind of under my own name and my own, own umbrella now, but um, carry a lot of those same principles. I went and did an internship with, with Drew out in Los Angeles when he very first moved there. And um you know, that was, that was very neat to be able to live in Los Angeles for two and a half months and, and just be able to learn under him and be with a lot of NBA all-stars and, and, and professionals from all levels overseas and guys that are just trying to make a roster, you know, guys that were in the G league. And so 
um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I started my training. I, it was one of those things where I went into coaching, and then once I did the internship, you know, we have four guys there, and two of them were getting hired, and two of them were hitting the road. And so I was lucky enough that I was one of the guys that was hired, and I've been doing that ever since. And so it's kind of, you know, I just made um, the coaching, you know, more business now. I don't have to worry about, you know, the teaching classes and the and the coaching teams, you know, on game night per se. It, coach them, coach them more on an individual and a small group and a and an academy basis. How was that transition <laughs> for you? And I'm super interested, and in, I, I don't want to um if, and I'm not into the trainer politics as far as like if you start with something like pure sweat and then branch off on your own, if that's any sort of issue. If it's not, I'm not saying it is. I guess I just started thinking as I'm talking out loud like it might be. But I'm super curious because I'm starting to get around a lot of dudes who coach and wish they could train, but they don't have like that credibility cachet, almost that name recognition in order to make it a career. So I'm super curious about the pathway that when you went from coaching to get into training, how that worked for you. Yeah, I I absolutely loved it. It's not for everybody, but that was what I gravitated towards as a player. Um, I was just a, a extremely hard worker. I was a gym rat through and through still am. And, um, so that's just what, you know, I always loved the player development because that's what I loved as a player. And so that's what I loved as a coach. It was just something that like, I want to learn as much as I can about how to help players get better. And, you know, when I started early in my career, it was just, you know, on the court. And then as I've kind of gotten older and matured and learned and, and read a lot, it's became, man, it's, it's more of the off the court stuff that, that really, you know, is what makes players go to that next level. And so, um, I love it just because it's just a different way to, to serve. It's almost like you're a personal trainer in a sense, but you're just dealing with, you know, on the, you know, on and off the floor with basketball. So, um, I love teaching, did it for, did it in public high school, and junior high school for 11 years. So it's not like it's, you know, something I just, it's just one of those things where that's I was looking for a new, looking for a new challenge. I was in a comfort zone, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, I just looking for that new challenge. And, and so when I went out there with drew, it was like, just to see, you know, I I think I can do this. I want to do this, but I'm almost had this fear of failure. This fear of like, what you just said is I kind of want to, but I don't know if I'll be able to. Yeah. And so once I went out there and started to see him in action and then I realized, man, I can do this. And so, Obviously, getting hired, you know, that was a blessing and, and helped me, you know, jumpstart my career in the training industry. It So I'm also a teacher, and I feel like most people, if you've coached middle school or high school, you almost are a mandatory teacher, right? Like, that's kind of the gig. You go with it, and um, you can definitely hit that complacency. And I'm thinking in my head to make that choice to go out there and be faced with the challenge of, whoa, I got the job. Do I give up the job that I know I can count on for like, dude, teaching is you're basically that's a guaranteed paycheck for as long as you want it. You don't have to sweat it. And that's man to go into the business. Gutsy. It is. It's very, yeah, you're exactly right. It was a, um, it was a decision, you know, and, and I've never closed the door on going back into coaching. You know, there's been a few, few pure sweat friends of mine that were pure sweat. And now they're just, you know, coaching a team. And so I, don't, I never closed that door, but man, uh, it would be 
you know, it, it would be down the road because right now I just love what I do. And I feel like I've, I have more purpose than I've ever had. And I feel like I can add a lot of value to, to student athletes. And, and I just feel like I, I reach so many more. Um, and, and I used to say, you know, maybe not on as, as deep of a level, but at the same time, it could even be a deeper level. It just depends on, you know, their relationship it depends on the family, it depends on the kid. And so, um, yeah, I take a lot of a lot of pride in what I do now, and I just I just love it. I love coaching as well. I loved uh, teaching, but it's just a different love that I have now. Well, I feel like John Wooden, and I'll, I'll mess up the quote because I only read the book once, The Pyramid of Success. But I'm gonna say it was almost like you're not a coach, you're a teacher. Was like one of his core messages, and I feel like so many coaches who are only players and I'm very limited in my experience as a middle school coach. I only really go against other dudes who are middle school coaches in Southern Delaware. So take it for what it's worth, but you can tell the difference between the teams of the guys who used to ball, but never were really like teachers or students. They just had that ability to ball versus the dudes who had to figure out and it didn't come easy. Almost like what you were saying, like you probably had to be a gym rat because you probably had some skill but it wasn't like an easy dominance. I bet you felt like you needed the preparation to be dominant. Hundred percent. That's what I, I tell people. Is I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I can I can work the hardest. And so, you're right when it comes to you know you, you have to be a teacher of the game, and that's what I feel like separates me from a lot of trainers in the industry is that I can teach, and I feel like. You know, I've learned from arguably one of the best trainers in the world. And so I feel very comfortable walking into a room with my ability to teach and ask questions. I feel like, you know, being able to ask ask questions and listen, you know, shut up and listen is what really makes you a great teacher. It's not just what you tell them. It's ask a lot of great questions. When they mess up, don't tell them what to do. Just ask them questions. Ask them what they saw. Ask them, you know, what's what's a better solution? You know, what's something else that you could have done? And then just shut up and listen. You'll be amazed. It starts to kind of build their, you know, cognitive ability, but it also makes you a heck of a lot better teacher of the game. And it's empowering to the kid, to the player. Like, dude, you, especially what you were talking about earlier with how much pressure kids feel like, dude, I've not, again, middle school coach, Southern Delaware, we have a game and I feel like I see more phones than I do eyes, which is sad because there's two eyes and you only have one phone, but like, it covers up all the eyes and everything's being recorded for the kids and everything's being scrutinized. So if you empower them to, well, why did you make that choice? What was your decision? Oh, and now you can understand and help them to realize where on wherever the flow chart, the fork in the road, they should have gone. That would have led them to success. The kid feels more in control. And yeah, I feel see, like that's very engaging. It's very engaging. If you, if you go to a, listen to a speaker speak, you know, I, I remember those long in-service hours, <laughs> all those years but if you so hear true. a speaker speak, you know, you have those ones that just kind of talk and talk and talk and it's monotonous and it's boring and, it, and you just tune out and you, and again, you get on your phone, you get on, you know, a book under the table or whatever it's, whatever it is. But the, the ones that ask great questions and they're involving and, they're involving you in the process of what they're trying to accomplish. Again, it's just like you just said, it's engaging and it, and it takes out the boring and, and all of a sudden you see players wanting to improve, wanting to self-improve and they're getting better. And so, yeah, I mean, that's just, that that's the great thing about, you know, engagement, trying to get them 
trying to ask questions and get them involved in the process instead of you just always telling them. I think the guys that are and the girls that are out there just telling players what to do, it's 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 not going to be a great career for you. Yeah, because yeah, I think it adds that friction. It's it's almost it, I think people take that as like confrontational versus partnership level. Um, and it yeah. can, and people are empowered, man. Like it's the it, it's the age of on demand. It's the age of well, whatever. I don't know if there's apps, but I imagine there people feel like well, if you're a terrible trainer, like you're terrible, I'll just find another one real quick. Like it's the age of options. So you have to be in this partnership more so than this authoritarian role of I have the knowledge. This is the one. Like the my way or highway type mentality seems to be fleeting <laughs> seems to be opening absolutely. up you know absolutely and you you do that with all your i mean on the floor off the floor but just like your practices you know are they engaging or do you just going through on air you know blocked practice drills where players have perfected that coach we've been doing this it's it's you know mid-february and we've been doing this since october and i perfected it back in october and i'm still perfecting it today and you know being able to have drills where you're creative and there's defense and there's you know it takes a little bit more work on your part and you're asking questions and you're building their cognitive ability you're keeping them engaged they become better players that you you get out what you want which is them to get better and again they love playing for coaches that can that can keep them engaged and so yeah i mean that's just that's a great point yeah it's something that i was very fortunate to come across with primarily pure sweat, I, I feel when I'm just going through internet videos and you gravitate towards certain philosophies that you like. And for instance, like basic layup drills, something that um, I believe Matt and actually Luke Cooper was another guy actually now that I'm thinking about it, pure sweat, who had come on the pod and adding a defender to have like a read and reaction, like make a defender, hey defender, you're gonna step left, step right. So as you clear a close out, make a read and if the defender's right, obviously you got whatever, Euro. And just having that instead of having kids just make layups and work on whatever, just a simple pivot, you add a challenge once they have the pivot, kids constantly feel like they have to perform and there's another level. Um, it was something that I didn't realize, me again, not being really a basketball player, more of a teacher, um, that I loved. I'm like, it, it makes so much sense to me. And to me, it makes it more fun because then the kids are going through drills, but it's like a game. It's not just a drill. It's a game where you get to beat the people you're playing with. <laughs> Absolutely. And just, uh, again, you know, doesn't even have to be, I always say the, the decision that the kid makes, the reaction that they make after they see something, you know, the perception, action, coupling. When they see something, they have to react to that something that's more important than the actual skill. I, I don't care. I always tell players when I'm working them out, your coach is not going to care what move you make. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, if it looks really pretty and it's a Euro step, great, but they don't care if it's just you go off one foot, you go off two. They just want you to get the result. They want you to make the right decision. And so I think the decision is even more important than the skill. And so, again, just putting kids in situations where they can see something and react, like you just said, with a defender – and it could be guided at first, you know, we yeah. can start it off where you can't do this and we give them rules, but then it's got to be where, Hey, now let's, you know, we've kind of worked on this and you built confidence, you feel comfortable. And now let's just kind of see, you know, if it can take place in a live setting. And so there's definitely progressions, but sometimes it's a backwards progression too. Sometimes it's like, Hey, we're not, you're not getting this. It doesn't have to be a linear 
you know, I learned this and then now we go to step B and we've learned that now we go to step C. It's just, let's, let's put live defense out there and then let's just try to find out solutions. And once you do that, like you just said a second ago, you get players engaged and you start to build their cognitive ability to react. And that's what basketball is. It's so reactionary. The only time in basketball we get to slow down and just do something where we get to do it at our pace, exactly how we want, where there's no reaction is a free throw. Other than that, everything else, shooting a jumper in the corner, and the, everything has to have a different feel. It's, it's always going to be different. And so being able to train in that environment is just going to help players, you know, better suited to react. And I strongly encourage you, if you haven't read The Playmaker's Advantage. I have not. Uh, that's that's a book that you, that's a must-have for coaches and it, it it's, talks about a little bit of the neuroscience behind kids having to react and their cognitive ability, but it breaks it down into coaching terms. It's not like, you know, I think they have a, a second book where it gets a little bit more into the, you know, the science aspect of it. Um, but the playmaker's advantage is just, you know, again, it, it tries to explain to coaches that how kids learn and, and a lot of the old, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s drills of block practice where you just do something on air and there's no reaction, um, you know, you're, you're lost with the times. Those days are over. And, and the players that are, you know, playing for coaches that put them in those reactionary type settings are going to build a lot better basketball players. And so I strongly encourage any coach I talk to, especially young coaches, to get that, to get that book because, um, you know, we're all – you know, kind of victims of circumstance and we've learned from other coaches. Well, they did it that way. And I played yeah. under that coach and he did it that way. And so it kind of builds and builds. And, um, they're just, there's just so much research out there in science. Now that shows this is not the best way. It's almost like <laughs> static and dynamic stretching. Like if you're starting to practice and you're just like, cross your legs, bend over one, yeah. <laughs> two, three, four, five. And like they clap and you're like, or like one person shooting a free throw and there's like 15 people on the lane line and that's what you're going to use your 10 minutes for a game to warm up with. You're like, Absolutely. whoa, man. Like that, not to be mean, but there's probably a better way and <laughs> kids will probably enjoy it more. And it uh, it takes time. I mean, it's like, you remember back in the late 80s and early 90s, everybody was like, hey, we got to start getting athletes stronger and it, it all became about the weight room. And, yeah. and now, you know, everybody in the world even high school teams have a strength and conditioning program and then it started you know it's in the last few years it's starting to really go towards the mental health of athletes and their you know the nba it's became you know a really big thing and and i think that that's the next step is starting to understand that you know we have to be able to teach you know athletes and understand how the brain works when it when it comes to sports and reaction and so I think that's the next big thing. We're, we're starting to do, you know, more of the off the floor cognition stuff and the mental health. And I think we need to start understanding the more of the on the floor, uh, the way the brain works and how, you know, we learn. And so I think that's the next big thing coming, you know, with, with skill development. And, and you can see it's already starting to take place. People talking about small sided games, and the, you know, putting them in decision making drills. Uh, but it takes time. It takes time to get to where a lot of coaches, you know, they, they do away with, uh, with the blocked and, and get to more of the, you know, completely random stuff. Tell me more about blocked because I hadn't heard that term before. So I'm curious about it when you say, I, I like, I feel like I know what well, you're talking just, about, but I'm not sure. 
it's just the basic where there's no reaction. It's, you know, for, for an instant, for, you know, a basketball coach, like you're doing a two line layup, you know, you're jumping off the inside foot with your outside hand and finishing. And that's a blocked drill. You know, you can do that. They can probably perfect that very short period of time. And there's no, and, and like you said, well, every player has a different body, different reaction, different style. Defenders are coming at them from different angles, different parts of the court. It may be two, you may get trapped, you may. And so we train in this blocked environment. We do ball handling, you know, zigzag ball handling up and down the court with no defense. Um, and it's just very ungame-like. And why do we do that? Because, well, my coach did that or so-and-so that I learned under, he did that. And, and it just, it baffles me because coaches will say, you know, we're going to work on a passing drill. We turn the ball over, you know, 20 times tonight. So we're going to do passing drill for 30 minutes tomorrow. And they're going to go in and do a, a block passing drill on Wednesday for 30 minutes. And then Friday, they're going to turn the ball over 25 times. And they're going to go, well, <laughs> we worked on passing for, we worked on passing coach. You know, he's yelling at the assistant coach saying, we worked on passing for 30 minutes and we've turned it over. And it, it's like, no, coach, you didn't work on passing because you did it in a blocked environment. You didn't have anybody out there making them make a decision, trapping them, deflect, trying to deflect passes. And so it's just, again, blocked is just, you know, a term that you're just doing a task and there's no perception action coupling. There's no reaction. It's just do this at your pace as slow and, and it's going to be the same. Whereas, you know, if it's, if it's random, it's, um, you know, it's, it's again, it's completely random and you have no idea when it's coming. So you're just trying to make your practices more like the game, if that yeah. makes sense. No, that does. And I, the thing that I liked and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the two, the inside foot, outside hand layup drill, two line layups, for instance, it seems like there's a place for that because maybe if that's the foundation, you want to make sure you can do that, right? So you got to start with that. But once you've demonstrated the ability to do that consistently, and it probably doesn't take long once you learn it, you got to immediately move on. Or you want to add something to it to now make the player make a choice to really test, are they under control? Can they <laughs> adapt to it, to the situation? Absolutely. Yeah, you just want to add add layers, add you know, defender. And it, it just doesn't happen much. The 45 degree wide open layup, if you watch basketball games, it just doesn't happen much, you know, and even, you know, when it does happen, it's very, very seldom. And it may be at a different angle than a 45 degree. It's almost a full speed layup and a guy's full chasing you and he's breathing on your back of your neck and he's trying to knock the ball away as you're going up. And so, you know, again, you're just trying to make whatever it is that you're struggling with. You have to, you know, if anything, you could, Hey, you could put six defenders out there on a five, or you could put, you know, make it even, you know, give the defensive advantage or give the offensive advantage. But the more you can involve decision-making and reaction, you know, the better it's going to carry over to games. I, and I think the <clears throat> players will see it as more challenging. And I think we've said that I, I've said that a couple of times. And I think that it gets the engagement because it's boring. Like it, kids get bored. Kids are overstimulated. And uh, you know, what's interesting is um, all the kids in our school have iPads and I watch the games they play and the games they play don't have a lot of decision-making. The games they play have that repetitive tap, 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 tap. And you're like, 
that has to be boring. Like me, for me, Mortal Kombat was at least decision making. I had to anticipate. I had to have my combos that I wanted to hit with you. And I feel like people just as a being crave a challenge. They, they don't Absolutely. want things easy. People don't want easy things. People want some sort of that's challenge, it. some sort of resistance, because for whatever reason that's in us, it makes you feel good. You feel like a conqueror. <laughs> you feel like you've accomplished something. And I think you Absolutely. could deprive kids of that if you go with what you're saying is that like blocked drills, because they're like, well, it's too easy. And it's so, it's, 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 they're not engaged. Again, it's, it's so funny because coaches will scream and yell at them and say, we're not focused. And it's not that they're not focused. It's that they're not engaged. They have, it's like, coach, this is the most boring, repetitive drill. We've been doing it for three straight months and I haven't missed a layup in three months. Like, oh, I just missed one. It's not that I'm unfocused. It's just boring and repetitive. And so, you know, again, why are kids playing a sport? Most of the time it's because they love playing, not doing drills. And some, a lot of the times it's just a social, like I, I want to hang out with my friends and go yeah. do things. Yeah, games. And there are kids that are super competitive and they take it very, very serious. But for the most part, high school athletics, it's just kids wanting to something to do and hang out with their friends. And so Bus when rides, you make man. these boring, <laughs> boring, repetitive <laughs> drills, it's like, coach, make it, make it fun. Don't forget that it's a game at the end of the day and make it, make it fun. You still get what you want out of it, but you can do it with live defense. You can do it in small sided games, which in, instead of just this boring, repetitive thing, break them up at different baskets and put defense out there and you can work on those same things. You know, if you want to do a three man weave drill, do it, but throw a, throw a defender out there throw one out there, throw two. It makes them have to make a decision instead of just a boring, repetitive up and down the floor. And, and uh, again, just being able to add defense and, and tell the defense, Hey, play, do whatever you want, make it because the more random, the more unorganized, the more messy it is, it's pr- the better the drill is probably going to be. And the, and the more carryover you have to gameplay. As you're telling me this, and I don't know if it's the teacher and curriculum guy in me. I don't know if it's my need to, uh, let me see if you know this term, vertically articulate curriculum, (laughs) vertically align, not articulate, but basically like make standards align. The randomness versus the blocked. I'm wondering like if you're in youth basketball, third grade, so I'm middle school, I have sixth, seventh and eighth grade. I start the season with a lot of block to make sure your feet are right, your pivoting's right, your hands are right on passing, you're catching, and you're able to not, when you explode to a hole, you're not traveling. When you go to your jump shot, you're not taking like five little mini hops to get into rhythm. So to me, that's very blocked because I need to trust that you have the foundational skill. Am I waiting too late? Should I just be like, ah, you'll figure out the foundational if I throw some more randomness in there? Should should this be something that like third grade? Have you are are there rules to it, or is it all just like a feel? You got to know where your players are. No, there's always a time for blocked. Um, it's just that a lot of the time coaches spend too much time on blocked, or they're. There's, I call them, you know, you got these sentence coaches or you got these summary coaches and they, and they just, it's like they like to listen to themselves talk and just keep talking and talking and talking. And, you know, we need to do be more of the quick bullet points. Let's get to the sentence instruction and the blocked has to be a lot less. And, and you know, again, there's different philosophies. You could teach pivoting or you could say, hey, uh, you face that way and I'm going to throw the ball out and you got a defender, you know, let's say, you're at the elbow and you got a player facing, you know, the nail facing away from you 
and you're behind them and you just toss the ball in front of them and you say, hey, look, when, when I toss the ball, the defense is going to fly out and close out on you. And all of a sudden, guess what? You'll see them do reverse and forward pivoting. It's just a natural movement because they know they can't travel. And it's like, hey, now if, if you can pivot into a shot, pivot into a shot. If, if the defense is close to you, hey, let's just do a simple read. If it's a youth basketball player, let's, let's put the thing on the floor and not travel. And so there's a time for blocked, but it's, it's so many coaches spend so much longer than they should. Gotcha. Um, I, I see a lot of youth practices. I go to a lot of different, they have a, a lot of great youth programs in my area. And um, man, I'm seeing a lot of parents that are helping out and they're spending so much time on, on the blocked. And um, you know, you're just building, you're building robots. And, and again, in a game, it's not going to be blocked. In a game, it's it's so funny because they'll practice once a week and they go play four games and they wonder why their kids can't do anything. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, why why don't we make that practice random and with live defense? Because that's how you're playing the games. The games are on the weekend and your, your ratio of games to practice is way off anyway. So it's almost ludicrous for a, for a youth coach to say, well, look, we're going to practice these really blocked – drills and fundamentals and then when they get into gameplay and it's live and they're doing that four to one ratio because they'll play saturday and sunday they'll play two games saturday and two games sunday and they wonder why their kids you know can't do anything against live defense or they travel and so it's like the more you can make it even at a young age because they pick up things so much quicker anyway they get their brains are like sponges i mean they just want to they want to learn and so that's one of the things I've changed and learned is there's no certain age, you know, they can actually learn stuff faster than we can. And so uh, the more you can make it where they have to react uh, against live defense, the better. Again, there's a time for blocked, but it just has to be minimized. Gotcha. I, I love the bullet point summary thing. And what I'd like you to do, and I, I don't know if you've ever done this or if this is a jerk type of question, I don't mean to be a jerk because I've just met you. Um, but it helps me because I deal with elementary kids. I, I coach middle school and I um, helps a little bit on, with the high school. So are there particular bullet points of areas of focus? Elementary, hey, make sure we can blank. Or am I even still thinking in this blocked mentality of make sure we can? Am I no, asking uh, that right? Or is that like a terrible, I don't know if I'm good at asking no. questions. And again, this depending on what you feel like, I mean, is youth, if it's like five to eight or if it's eight to 10 or whatever, but there's a progression of things. I think, I think all players at that level, you know, you have to worry, you know, about their footwork. And so, you know, how do they catch the ball on their shot? How do they, you know, catch the ball into a drive? How do they, catch the ball and they can't shoot it and they can't drive. Now they're in a triple threat position and they have to be able to, you know, pivot and pass or pivot and drive. And so, you know, a foundation of footwork obviously is good. Jump stopping and pivoting, you know, off both foot, you know, those things are always good. Can I pause you? Uh, So a a big area we talk, we talk about often is like the, if you're right-handed step left into the catch, then step right versus the, hop step into the catch and obviously the hop step i guess would be technically better because you have more options right you could pivot off of either versus if you step left the left's now your pivot foot on the catch um overthinking that or is that too much of a detail for that young or you just 
show kids both ways and let them decide who they are? No, I mean, again, every coach has different philosophy. At the highest level, there's not a difference as far as efficiency in a hop and a one-two. I mean, I think the I think the one-twos, you know, maybe point point zero something better than the hop. So it's <laughs> it's not, you know, where we, hey man, we have to do it this way. But there are coaches, you know, that it's their program and they want to teach a one-two or they want to teach the hop or everything. I mean, I deal with players from all over the area and this high school coach says you got to hop and this high school coach said, no way you got a one, two, you know? And so oh, really? again, I think at a young age, you, you show them both. Um, if you get to build a basketball player from the ground up, obviously we would want them to be good with every different kind of footwork because again, the game is so random yeah. and it's so unpredictable and it's not, you know, this black and white, it's this huge gray area that we would want to be able to show them all the different ways, you know, backpedal and one, two and sidestep and, inside pivot outside pivot reverse pivot you know but you know again the foundation of just being able to know what the difference in a forward pivot with your weak foot and a forward pivot with your dominant foot and reverse pivot and you know how to you know get out of a trap how to handle pressure at a young age you know how to how to handle the ball um those things are all, you know, extremely important. Obviously when we talk about youth if we can get to any kind of shooting mechanics you know, just the basic foundation fundamentals of you know, your hand under the ball and spread wide your hand on the side of the ball. Just, you know, again, the, the basic, the, the problem with the youth is if you're doing middle school is they may come to you from the first grade, been playing since the first grade and they have these terrible habits that you have to break because they've been playing, you know, on a 10 foot goal with a regulation basketball. And, yeah, and there's so life. many problems that, that you probably run into, but I'm um, a dude, I'm amazed. And I'll, I'll, <laughs> you feel free to add in your experience. The lack of rotation on a jump shot for kids who play basketball, who have played for five years, I'm like, dude, the ball does not spin. And they're like, what do yeah. you mean it's got to rotate? I'm like, I don't understand the science behind why it's important that the ball spins. But like, when you look at a football, spirals matter with a quarterback. Can't we just like look at all these NBA dudes shooting and – if you don't understand why it matters, can we just accept that the ball spinning forward matters? And that blows yeah. their mind where they're like, I never thought about that spiral before. And I'm like, yeah, dude, like some, <laughs> I don't know, it's physics, man. But like, yeah, so many- Yeah, it the shot a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, dude, if it's spinning forward, maybe when you hit the rim, it'll spin in versus if it's spinning yeah. sideways. Well, what if I hit the side of the rim, coach? Then it's gonna spin sideways in. I'm like, all right, so you're aiming for the side of the rim? I don't understand. But yeah. Like that, that's, that's a great point that the shot of just something so basic as fingers through the rim, make the ball spin type stuff is, um, yeah. completely lost. Cause kids dude, they will be six years old with a regulation ball going hard and step backs from like 20 it, feet away. And you're like, it's amazing. you're going to that, ruin that's yourself. Exactly, but you're exactly right. It's, it's, you know, when we were, when we were young, we did, it was hard to even see a game on TV, you know? Yeah. And now it's like these kids are seeing things and they, and it's like anything else, they mimic what they see. And so when you turn on the TV now and you see James Harden and Steph doing these just in, incredible, you know, moves and shots from all over the court, that's what kids are going out and they're trying to emulate. And, yeah. and it just so happens that <clears throat> that's not the best thing for them. And they, especially not if you're on a 10 foot rim with a regulation ball, but it's amazing. Like I'm amazed even in this area, in Northwest Arkansas, there are kids that are playing in leagues and they'll be in second grade. I'm like, what, 
what kind of rim are you playing on? Oh, it's 10 foot. It's the regular rim. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, yeah, because is the there. rule a foot on the rim? And I'm sorry to cut you off again, but I for some <laughs> no, something we tried to do was like, basically the rim should be a foot for every year you are old. So if you're six years old, you should play on a six foot rim. <laughs> if you're nine years old, yeah. you can get to the nine foot. Is that a pretty good rule of thumb? Yeah, you know, again, I just, I just try to, you know, do it. Once you get up to be in the, in the fifth and sixth grade, I think it's time to maybe move to to the higher rim. But that's about uh, think, ten years old. You know, the ball needs to be a little bit smaller. You know, if you go over to yeah. Europe, they got a, even a mini basketball that's even smaller than the than a than a girls basketball. You know, oh, a twenty eight point really? five, a, a youth basketball, and the rims are you know at eight foot, and they graduate to nine, and they go to ten. But it's just a progression. Again, it's it's like you think about t ball. You know, you think about baseball, you don't take a kid out, you know, on a, in a professional base, you know, Yankee Stadium, and you start throwing, you know, throwing pitches up there with a big bat. You know, you had this little small bat to throw a tee. There's just this progression. And in basketball, we have first graders playing tournaments on a regulation 94-foot length court with 10-foot goals with a girls' basketball. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 something's, something's not right. And so – what you just said, that's why you got kids that come to you in the seventh grade and they shoot a knuckleball and they have yeah. no idea how to shoot with the proper mechanics. And so, um, you know, it's again, it's going to be a, a long uphill battle for us to keep fighting the good fight on that. But it's something that, you know, <laughs> we have to do. So <laughs> fight. I like that. That's fight one of the, the good. Fight. That's, I tell people all the time. I, I never even played basketball until the sixth grade. And I really feel like that's one of the reasons I was a great shooter is because when I very first learned how the old beef principle, you know, balance, elbow, eyes, and follow through, I was strong enough to shoot the ball in a regulation basket. I was a, a bigger, stronger kid. And, and then in the sixth grade, it's like, okay, I'm going to learn these fundamentals. And I was strong enough and I'd never done it before. And so I was cognitively aware to kind of learn the fundamentals and the foundation but i was also strong enough to to shoot the ball correctly yeah and uh i never that's one thing i always tell people is i hey look i don't all i remember is the beef principle so i was never taught and i never learned how to shoot it incorrectly i just I, i've known it from correct from the very first time i ever picked a basketball up they um so i was <laughs> in the military and one of the things in basic training was they were like how many of you have never shot a weapon before and we raise our hands and we feel all stupid and we're around all these country boys who kill all sorts of stuff, you know? And we're like, uh, I know where a trigger is, but I don't know, like, whatever, how to get a bullet out of the chamber. Like, stupid shit, right? And they were like, you all will be 39 out of 40, 40 out of 40. Now, like, who's, who's gone and killed a deer? Who's killed squirrels? Who can pick a pheasant off flying through? Everybody's raising their hand. Like, y'all will be the worst shooters. What are you talking yeah. about, drill sergeant? It's like... We can't teach you. We can't teach That's you. Right. You won't listen. But I we went in there. Analogy. Yeah, dude, we went in there and it held true. Dude, I was 38. I was just whatever. I forget the claim, but I was like the highest level of marksman in basic. I think I was 38 out of 40. Never firing a weapon before because if they told me my elbow needed to be here, if I needed to release my breath on this point, if I needed to target three inches higher because it's 30 meters further, I'm doing they, they it. get to teach you. They don't have to spend their time breaking bad habits. 100%, man. And I love your now. My dad's a military guy. You know, rest of his soul, he passed away in August. And and I was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, because my dad was a military guy. Nice. But, um, man, that's a great analogy. I will talk about that analogy in every podcast I'm probably ever going to be on from here on out because that's 
that's exactly what it is, is my, a lot of my job and why I get hired to help people with shots and all that is because I'm trying to, to break all these bad habits. Right. And, uh, man, that's a great analogy. I love that. Yeah. It, um, and it, it's funny cause I'm not, a, I, I've definitely not the success you had, um, in basketball. Um, but it's so, it's such a basic teachable principle and it's a very humble thing. It's very hard for even an 11 and 12 year old kid, boy, girl, whoever to like accept they've been doing something wrong. And then on top of it for the parent, who's kind of been helping them to be like, you almost haven't been helping. It, it like that leads to so much conflict in the coach relationship with kids, at least again, in my experience where it's hard to get over that conflict, rebuild the relationship and the trust. And then we haven't even gotten to all the time reps and faith you need to then be the good shooter with the right mechanics. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's what it is. Is once you learn now it's, it's on you. It's player led development. Like, to be a good shooter takes so much time. And I tell players all the time, it's like, hey, look, you're going to, you know, in a perfect world, I mean, you have to, you know, have to pay me for my time. And so you're not going to pay to see me four days a week, five days a week, six days a week. But if you ever want to be a great shooter, I'm not talking about a good shooter. I'm talking about a great shooter. This is a six or seven day week thing. And so that's got to be player led development. You have to, that's not something that I can, you know, coming to you every single day into your house. Hey, let's go shoot for an hour and a half. That's not, that's not how it works. And so, um, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head there for sure. How, <clears throat> how much of your thought process and training goes with stuff that kids can do or players can do on their own away from you? Yeah, that's, that's where my philosophies change, you know, about five years ago. when I really, when I started working with Drew is, you know, I used to, I've trained kids my entire life. Even when I was a college player, I trained local high school kids in the area. Um, I trained my teammates. I, when I was a graduate assistant coach, you know, I was in charge of player development. So I would train and, and I realized, you know, about five years ago that I spent a lot of time taking, you know, kids through things they could do totally on their own. And so now I have the exact opposite approach. It's like, look, we're not going to do anything here that you can do on your own. Like, I'm not going to sit here and make you do pound dribbles, 150 pound dribbles with your right hand and then left when you can do that on your, you know, on your own. And so that's something that, you know, again, it depends on the purpose. If you're using it just to do a little ball handling warm for five minutes, Hey, we're just kind of waking up, we're getting our fingertips warmed up or whatever. But as long as you have a purpose for the things you're trying to accomplish and the, the things you're trying to get through to the players, you know, I think that's the most important, but, I think with the limited time that I have with my student athletes, I think it's, I'm not going to have you paying me money to do something that you could do on your own. And you'd be amazed how many trainers that's exactly what, and their parents have no clue. Their parents are like, we just paid this guy 50 bucks. And he literally, I could have sent him that on a YouTube video. Yeah. And he could have did all that at home and his, at his house, because there's not one thing here that was, random it was all block practice for an hour straight and they could have done it at their house and not only that but they did it with seven other kids so, they and so they're standing the at the back of the line holding <laughs> exactly. the ball waiting for seven other kids to go before they get to go in a rep and so they could have done even more for free at home than they could paying a guy to come to a training session and so don't even get me started on that that'll be a whole different a whole different deal i mean yeah. i see 
I see trainers and AAU coaches all the time with, with athletes. And I'm just, Oh, I just kind of have to shake my head and go, okay. You know, they do nothing at all. I'm talking about nothing to actually help the player improve as a player. And so that, that becomes tough, you know, in my job, you don't try to, to go and say, Hey, uh, just let you know, that's not, you know, you just kind of shake your head, kind of look down and say, man, you know, you, you realize that that player's, you know, not going to be there's not going to be much improvement over the years for that player that's if, if that happens. no it does and honestly i was on the um i think you converted me I, i'm loving this conversation man because i'm i feel like i'm growing as a coach i feel very selfish in the fact that i asked you to come on the pod because now i feel like it's all about me growing as a coach with your advice <laughs> but part of my like mentality was like i want to show you stuff and like help you with Again, it's very blocked, but like be nitpicky about form, fingertips and like help you feel and then send you away so that if you want to get better, this is what you need to do on your own. But when you're talking about that, like really what you can do as a coach or a trainer is like, I want to have stuff that's you're not going to get anywhere else because that's so like, can I get a little more about like what would be the you can't get it anywhere else is it just setting up drills where decision making is important or is it what kind of stuff can you not get anywhere else absolutely where you're and and again when it comes to technical tactical skill you know where again shooting a free throw you find out mechanically you know okay that doesn't look right you know and you try to help kids with those those technical tactical skill but again they have to go and spend time on their own doing those things that's not something that you can be there with them you know every day um you can explain to them why they're missing shots or you can explain to them why they're why their passes have no you know there's no zip on their passes that it's too much of a lob and they're turning it over or whatever it is but you know again in the training session you try to to make them what you just said. And there's, there's so many ways to do it. You could do it visually. You could do it, you know, auditory, you could do it, you know, having them write, read stuff. I mean, it's just whatever it is to kind of engage and get their, you know, their mind, their cognitive ability um, is going to help them in the actual game. And so, you know, instead of just having them do ball handling drills, it's like, you know, where you're just standing there doing static ball handling, you do all, you go through all these little, it's like, Hey, you know, you got five things you can do with the basketball. You can, you can pound the ball, you can pound it high, medium, low, you know, legally you could inside out the ball, you can cross the ball over, you can go between your legs behind your back. So now you say, okay, you got those five things. And I want to see how many times you can do that, but I'm going to guard you, you know, maybe it's in the lane or I'm going to put some cones up and I'm going to guard you in this area. And, and my job is I'm just going to try to to knock you off balance and I'm going to try to knock the ball away, deflect the ball, steal the ball, whatever I can do. Your job is to use as many of these different dribbles as you can. You can do whatever you want, but you got to stay in bounds. You, you just give them some restraints. You might say, hey, you can't spin dribble. You can't crab dribble. If, if you feel like I'm about to steal it, you know, you could pull the ball back or you could pop off and create space. But you're just making it where they have to react. Random That reactions. would be a heck of a lot more game-like, you know, drill. And and they have to react to a live defender in a game anyways, right? So the same way with, you know, with passing, you could work on, you know, their 
they're dribbling, you know, doing anything they want, being creative, and all of a sudden you you say hook pass or bounce pass or pocket pass or whatever it's going to be, and they have to make that pass. Um, anything that you can do where they just where it's random and they have to react to you know a stimuli is going to help them kind of start to build their cognitive ability. If if they're working on you know um, shooting, it's it's hey you turn that way and when you jump. I want you to jump 180 degrees and then I want you to react. I may be right up on you, which will tell you what, well, I'm going to drive. And if I'm off of you, you, you may, you may shoot it or shot fake, right? Just simple drills that again, they couldn't do on their own, something they would have to react to as opposed to just having player led development, which is again, there's a, there's a time and a need for block practice, but it's something that they can do on their own as opposed to a coach-led development, which, again, I'm not going to do anything with a kid they can do on their own. I don't feel like it's it's very beneficial to them, and I feel like really it's just wasting their time and their money, if that makes sense. No, it does, man. It does. Like, like I said, I, I'm feeling <laughs> I'm feeling the spirit of conversion in my soul. Like it, Because it, I, I think you honestly, like when you were talking about summary and bullet point coaches, I, I, I've heard 12 different things that to me are very bullet point common sense because <laughs> that does Absolutely. make sense like dude like hey man if you want your kid to get better at just block layups you could pay me blank amount of dollars or you could just use the court in your driveway and if they actually care they'll do it yeah. and then i'll help them to know how to do different things in the game because that's where the excitement that, is like and i think it, it's it, like simple. you just said earlier you said the kids have everybody's got a phone it's yeah. like hey just go to youtube and type in Dribbling basketball, drill. 10 minute work. I mean, you, you could type yeah. in, well, I don't really feel well. I'm just going to work out for 10 minutes. Type in 10 minute basketball work, man. There's going to be one 30 minutes, an hour, whatever. And you could just mimic what's on the, for free. It's, yeah. it's a hundred percent free resource. YouTube has a million basketball videos, right? And they'll drive to this facility and pay this trainer to stand in line and they'll get, maybe 60 block reps throughout the you know thing and yeah. then they're and it's like and then they it's the same parents that'll say man my little son johnny's been training for three years and he looks great in training sessions but when he gets into games he just freezes up he has no confidence if i had money for every time i hear a parent say they have absolutely no confidence you know in their ball handling ability they're just scared and and it's like yeah and again it goes back to what you just said it's common sense it's how do you train well, we train with so-and-so. He's really good. Oh, is he? Okay. Gotcha. And then you go to the training session and you're like, okay, everything he's done is, is blocked practice. So, and then in the game, nothing is blocked. Not one single, yeah. except the free throw. If little Johnny's good enough, if his confidence builds and he gets fouled one time a game and gets to go to the free throw line, he might shoot a blocked rep, yeah, you know, right. shoot a free throw or two. But other than that, everything is having to react. And so, again, it just goes back to, when you train that way, especially in small sided games where they can get the reps, because if you do train at a young age in a five on five setting, I mean, you, you know, in middle school, there are just some kids that are getting a cardio workout. They're not touching the ball much. They're just yeah. running up and down the floor yeah. and they're playing some defense a little bit, maybe if their guy gets it, but you're hiding them on defense as well. And so, you know, the kids that can, have to react and make decisions in a small sided game, whether it's one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, and they get all those cognitive reps and they get the the physical reps. That's how you start to be, you know, build better basketball players and better thinkers, better decision makers. And that's what 
you know, the book, The Playmakers Advantage is about is how do we build playmakers? How do we build Steve Nash's? Why can't every player be trained to be a great decision maker? Why is it, oh, well, this kid's 5'10", and he's in sixth grade. We're putting him in the post. And then same kid graduates at six foot one, but he's always known as post play because he was a big young kid. And so you put kids into boxes instead of let's let's train all these kids like playmakers and then let's just let their game, you know, end up kind of, you know, figuring itself out. Yeah, like almost like it like a, a like a um natural selection, right? The strongest Absolutely. survive kind of a thing. And I think like it just seems so much more fair. Right. Cause who Absolutely. are you to limit a kid's growth and opportunity? We've, um, I dealt with this. We had a couple big kids for middle school, dude, we had a freaking, and I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible coach. Cause we were only 11 and two and we lost in the state championship game. And I got a six foot three, 280 pound coachable athlete who never played before in eighth grade. And he's just like, all he can basically do in the game is like, get the offensive rebound and put it in if he's right there. But during practices, I made him do everything. Like I fought my assistant coaches on, he just needs big man drills. He needs big man drills. I'm like, what if he's done growing? He needs to go through the passing and the dribbling. And why can't he also screen away, pop out and learn an up fake? I don't want to be the dude that tells him he can't shoot. I want to work on his mechanics. He knows he can't shoot. I don't need to tell him he never makes a jump shot. Like he feels it. And and, you know, on the flip side of that, why do we not, you know, why can't we teach little five foot six over here some post moves? It's it's not just one way or the other. It's just build basketball players. You know, there are so many players that, you know, yeah, they may not be the biggest and the tallest, but being a post player, like if you start to drive from the wing yeah. and all of a sudden a guy cuts you off, man, you could turn, protect the ball and go into it back to the basket for a second and then boom, open up your hips and attack again. That's footwork, but that's a post move, yeah. even though it, it's kind of a perimeter to post. But let's just train basketball players with everything. Let's train all basketball players to be playmakers. Again, you can play, train them in the post, but don't just put kids in box and say, hey, you're a post, hey, you're a guard let's train everybody as everything and just teach the game. And then like you just said, the natural selection will work itself out. Their player led development will let them be as good as they want to be. Yeah. You know? So that's, that's our job as coaches is to, is to say, Hey, look, we're, we're going to build your foundation and we're going to teach you everything you need to know to become a better basketball player. And then it's like, you got to go put in the work. Yeah. And so, and it almost goes back and I'm a terrible podcast host. So a while ago I asked you about bullet points, elementary, middle school to high school. Right. And it takes me back to you saying around 10th grade, you started having a lot of success and you almost, you you started basically specializing in basketball, right? You chose AAU because you reach a point where you do almost have to pick a lane if you're going to reach in my estimation, and again, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, if you're going to jump up past high school, you almost have to pick that lane of who am I? You almost need an identity. And I'm super curious about, is there a set, do you have in your mind a set time by like, hey man, ninth grade year, you're basically going to be a big if you're a big or should high school coaches even not worry about boxing players into specific big wing guard point guard, even like labels? 
No, I, I mean, I really don't feel like there needs to be labels as far as positions go, but I feel like, you know, you need to perfect who you are and what you're good at before you try to add something to your game. I think that's where a lot of players mess up is, you know, we use a SWOT analysis like a business, you know, with strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And so I think that's what players have to do is, hey, look, we want to perfect your strengths we want to make sure we attack the threat. So threats are things that keep you off the floor, make you not play, right? So if you can't handle pressure at all, but you're, you're a guard, it's probably gonna we're gonna have to attack the threat. So that's gonna be one of our big main, you know, bullet points. But I think players wear themselves too thin, and they try to get good at all this different stuff because their trainer told them to. <laughs> no pun intended there, but and <laughs> what you want is. You want players to say, hey, look, let's get good at a few things first before we start trying to add other things. And so, um, like you just said, you have to be known for something, you know, and and especially if you're going to play at the next level, a scholarship player, I mean, they're going to want you to be good at something. That's what earns you a scholarship. They need to fill, you know, a a role role of something that needs to be really good. And so, And I think that's almost not even just a scholarship, but just playing time, right? Like I feel like most coaches – crave consistency if i like if i put a kid in the game i know okay you're my decision maker like i can count on you to be an inbounder so if the wherever the we're getting full court pressed or there's a baseline out of bounds you're the dude i count on to make a read and you're not going to just make a stupid decision you're not going to turn the ball over that's valuable now we can build from that but you can't lose that or oh you're the kid who can deal with pressure you're the kid who can hit a jumper you're my defensive stopper you're the dude that can get a rebound um so like i feel like that earns you not only next level but you got to have that role to get playing time in your current level absolutely yeah that's that's my terminology is perfect the role that you're in and then you can work for the role that you want preferably in the off season yeah we can do some things but again you have to attack threats first, but you have to strengthen your strengths. And, and when you're younger, you know, it may be something where, but as you just said, as you get into high school and college, it has to be more of a, you know, a lot more of, hey, let's get really good at our strengths and perfect those before we try to start adding, you know, some opportunities to our game. And so, um, yeah, the, what you just said, and again, every game, every opponent's different, right? It's, it's such a dynamic thing that, Every game calls for something. Hey, I'm have to use a little bit different tactic or different strategy, and this kid may help us more than this kid would in this this scenario. And so, you are who you are. Obviously, the better basketball player you can be, you're going to have a lot more opportunities and, and be a lot more you know multidimensional and be able to 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 react to different you know different scenarios. But what you just said, yeah, everybody's got to have something that they bring to the table, and they all do. Uh, it's just that some players are are playmakers and they bring a lot more to the table. Yeah, you love those players. Those are the ones that like never get subbed out. When they're tired, you just look the other way. You can play with like, four fouls. They have, to, they have to tell you, coach, I need one. And then you're like, nope, I, I'm looking. I didn't see him say that. I'm looking over here. Right Dude, we'll take a 30. We'll just take a 30 yeah. so you can stay in the game. Get a blow, get a blow. That's right. Um, you so, ask your assistant, how many timeouts I got left? Three. Okay, timeout. No, intentional foul. Intentional foul. For sure. Oh. So I'm curious, and I don't know what it's like out there, but so me as a middle school coach, I get two hours, basically five days to six days a week. So in my head, I try to organize that individual skill development, team concepts, 
and then application. So like team breakdowns and then five on five application of the breakdown. When I say those three things to you, individual skill, start practice, that warm up, that gear up, breakdowns of five on five concepts that we hope to apply, and then the application of those five on five concepts. Is my thought process screwed up in that's kind of how I'm thinking about my practice plans? No, I think that's great. Again, it's just every coach is different to what they feel like is very important and, and everybody has a different philosophy. And so it's just when you're doing those individual sessions, it's what are you doing the most defensively and what are you doing the most, you know, offensively? Because if, if now you can get players guarding, you know, that action, if you can get your players, you know, running those actions in a small sided game where it's competitive Mm-hmm. And there's a winner and a loser. Then obviously it's going to you know it's carry over. But it, when it's contested and it's decision making, you're building better basketball players. And then yeah, I mean you don't have to even wait. Like it used to be a thing where I think John Wooden was was known for that too. It's like okay, at the very end we're going to scrimmage, and it's like well why can't we scrimmage from the very beginning? You know, you, hmm. I think Chris Oliver said in a podcast one time I was listening to Basketball Immersion, and and Chris Oliver said why do you have to wait? you know, until the end to have dessert, you know, we're adults. Like we can, we can have the dessert at the the very beginning. And so um, you'd be amazed at starting practices with a competitive five on five game or three on three games at different courts, how you start to really engage players. And it's like, we don't have to, you know, do this, this, and this, and this, and this linear progression to get to to five on five. Uh, Sometimes, we mix it up and we start with five on five or we start with small sided games. Uh, but your skill development, the more you can make it, you know, again, you know, with, with live defense and having to react and make a decision, whether it's a, an advantage or disadvantage for the offense or defense, the better they're going to be in games because that's what it is. That's what it, most of basketball is, is not your set plays. It's just a broken down play where there's a small advantage or a disadvantage. And then you have to scramble on defense or you have to make the right play on offense and make a decision. And so uh, the more you can make your practices like that, again, I'm not here to, to critique your practice plan. Every coach is different and coaches win a million different ways. Um, but again, once you understand how players get better at skill and, and understand cognitive and having to make decision and reactions, that's obviously how you want to make your practice as much as possible. That's more of the point of emphasis, that decision and skill-making versus the, the, the using skills while decision-making should be the emphasis. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. It's yeah. like, hey, when you're doing skill work, try to find a way to make decisions into it. If you can do those both at the same time, you save time. And then yeah. it's not only that, but it's like ask a lot of questions because you're, built, you're building engagement, you're building – and it does. Like some coaches say, well, that takes a little bit more time to do – but I always say, well, look, I can flip that and say, take out the fluff of your practice, take out the blocked crap drills that you do on air, zigzag dribbling and three-man weave with no defense and, you know, full court layups for four minutes because they just want to run and, and shoot blocked, you know, and that's okay. I get it. I've been that coach that's done that as a young coach, um, you know, because I saw another coach did it. And I thought that was really good coaching. But the more you learn about, you know, how, how the brain works and how athletes 
you know, can acquire skill, skill acquisition, then you realize, man, I could take some of that block stuff out, some of that fluff, and I could start asking more questions and put them in decision reaction type, you know, settings, one-on-one, two-on-two, disadvantages, advantages, and then I would have a lot better basketball players. Yeah. I think that's, I don't know, man, the more people, and it's funny you say Chris Oliver, his um, wife, Jen, was actually on the podcast as well. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and she's- they're, they're great. I've been on, I've spoken on a lot of different podcasts and I've done, um, you know, coaching clinics online over the COVID and, and Chris just came on and spoke, you know, right after me and the day after. And I've, I've got to listen to him speak many times. He's, he's incredible. And, and again, he's just one of those few guys that gets it. He, he gets you know, what it takes to, to help coaches better be able to coach athletes. And he gets what, what it takes to, for players to become better basketball players. And and again, if, you know, it's a long, I mean, you talk about a guy that's got to fight, but he's, he's fighting the good fight. And I think he'll continue to do that until the day he retired. I hope he never retires from doing what he's doing right now. He's out of coaching, but he's, but he's helping serve the basketball community because he's, he's helping coaches and the coaches are, are the ones that are ultimately going to help the players. And so, yeah, him and his wife, they're awesome. I strongly recommend them to any young coach. Anytime I get a yeah. chance to talk about Chris and the work he's done, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of his biggest fans. It's So to take it to a school level, like it's a district office administrator type level that he's on where he can help teachers be better teachers for the students they're with. But he gets big picture stuff like he's 10,000 feet in the air. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, you, as you're talking, I'm constantly going through how I do practice. And the reason I keep bringing it back to me is because I hope other listeners who are interested in coaching or do coaching with whether it's AU, whether it's youth leagues, whether it's for schools, they analyze, they reflect. So our season just ended and I'm <coughs> reflecting on our loss at the end of a state championship, middle school state championship. And I'm like, what could I have done three months ago? to put us in a better position? What do I need to change in my preparation planning? What positions did I not put my kids in that could have helped them avoid this loss, right? And I, I that's why I keep saying me, but I hope listeners um, take it as like a, almost the same way. Like, oh man, let me think of my practice plans. Absolutely. And, and, and to answer that, it's it's quit having this, you know, coaches want everything to look so clean and have this sense yeah. of it's got to be perfect. It's got to look really good. Yeah. And it's hard to and, move and it's on. Not, it's, it's hard to move imp- on when kids are screwing stuff up. Right. You're like, it's just so it hard to move on. And that's where they learn. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's fail, fail quick, fail often. And because they learn through failure. And if we're always just telling them that's not that right and we got to do this instead of just asking them questions and let them kind of build that cognitive ability and it doesn't have to be you know this it's, it's an imperfect game it doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have to look perfect you know it's it's usually going to be somewhat messy and that's okay you know people win games messy games all the time um but that would be you know my thing of advice if you could go back and say what could i have done better is man make it messier because mm. kids learn and they become better through the failures. And, and there's so many coaches that I watch and it's got to, Oh, we didn't go hard enough. We got to do that again. It's got to look better. And it's like, this is blocked practice anyway. I mean, how, how good do you want to make it? And so, um, you know, again, it just goes back to 
it's an imperfect game. Don't have this sense of it's got to look perfect. It's got to look clean. It's got to, you know, you got all these finishing moves that people are teaching around the rim and, and these and pivots. Hey, I, again, the decision is more important. I don't care how it looks. It's, it's find a solution. Teach players and put them, more importantly, in scenarios where they can find a solution to a problem as opposed to it's got to look a certain way. It's got to feel a certain way. Um, and I think that's where a lot of coaches struggle, especially young coaches. Yeah, man. It, it's because you want to control what you can control, right? Absolutely. And that's the point of a coach. The point of a coach is I want you to find success. And I've done a good job if you look good. And it's like the coach's identity. Like kids get their identity from getting buckets. Coaches get their identity from players not fucking up a three-man weave. Because I'm a good coach exactly. if you can three-man weave. You know, like. That's it. Um, I'm super curious because you had mentioned the one practice to four game example of like AAU. And you'd also said like you played AAU and stuff. And it's something, it's a world I'm not too familiar with. Elite or even high level AAU. And I'm curious if you were like the czar of AAU, if you were some sort of, if like President Biden, who's from Delaware, by the way, shout out, um, (laughs) made you like a basketball czar over travel basketball in AAU. Would you change anything? Would you emphasize anything? What would you want to see? Or is AAU actually good and people just need to figure out a way to use what it gives kids? Well, again, I think it's it's good and bad. There are obviously organizations where it's not very good and there are organizations where it's really good. Um, I, think, I think AAU coaches can't lose sight of the fact that your job is not really to develop it's more to help get exposure and let them understand that the reason that it was invented is to let college coaches come and be able to observe large numbers of good players, you know, in a setting. And, you know, it's not to, you're trying to change a philosophy or teach them these certain things. It's, um, you know, you got these AAU you know, coaches who are that they practice, you know, once every three weeks or once every two weeks, and then they go and they play eight games. And I feel like that's, you know, that's a, a bad, a bad ratio as far as, you know, for the development of a player, I feel like players could stay locally and, you know, you don't have to travel 250 miles and stay in a hotel for two nights and you you had very few decision making reps. You had very few shots taken, which means you haven't really worked on your shot much. And you know you didn't play in front of a college coach. And so, what's the point of doing that? You know what I mean? You, if your job, if your point is I'm going to get play AAU because I'm trying to get better and develop, well then you're I think you're taking the wrong approach. Now, if you have a kid who's highly developed, highly good player. And he's in the July circuit with an EYBL team and he's playing in front of 200 coaches and he's from Podunk, Arkansas. That's a very good thing when it comes to AAU because Mm -hmm. he's getting an opportunity to play in front of college coaches that he otherwise wouldn't have. And so there are so many, you know, we could have a whole podcast on, you know, the ups and downs and ins and outs of AAU and travel ball from youth to, to the high school, to the elite levels. But, um, it's became a moneymaker in our country. It's became of, let's see how many teams we can get, how much money we can make. And, 
it's not the best thing for development for, for the kids. And it's, it's definitely not um, the ratio that we want as far as practice to play in Europe, again, and in Canada and these youth models that are really successful and creating really good basketball players. It's, it's a, it's a slower development. It's, it's age appropriate. It's smaller balls, smaller goals, smaller sided games. And it, it goes, you know, kind of with the age and, and, and progresses if you will. But the ratio of practice to play is so much different than in, in the United States. You know, you got these kids that they play all weekend, but they've only practiced once or twice. And so in Europe, it's a five to one ratio. They're practicing five times as much as they're, you know, playing games. And so if we could, if we could switch that ratio up, because again, you're not going to be very good if all you're doing is playing, you know what I mean? You want to be able to develop. Now you can still play. It's not like, Oh, well, what do you mean? You got to be able to play the game. You can play it. But again, how are we going to build cognitive ability? We're going to do that with you getting all those cognitive reps. And you're not going to get reps in five-on-five as much as you would in one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three. You're going to be able to get, you know, you you take any player that you have. If you just did five-on-five only, the kids that can't shoot, not going to touch the ball much. You You know, the kids that can't make decisions aren't going to touch the ball much. You can almost put kids in a basket and say, okay, and you'll see, that kid's not touching the ball very much at all, and it's because they can't play. They're not very good. So how do we get those players better? Well, we make them touch the ball a heck of a lot more. We make them make decisions a heck of a lot more. We make them have to take shots. And so you put them in those small-sided games. And so, um, you know, that's we, – again, we could talk all day on AAU if you have a specific yeah. question, but there are a yeah. lot of, of things, I think, that are wrong with, with our development model, which Don Showalter is a friend of mine. Uh, I actually got to sit with him. He came to, he's the head of USA basketball. I was going to say he's USA basketball. I follow him as well. He's super like, again, just you can overstate and it's not an insult to call someone simple. I think like what you said with bullet points, he just simplifies things and you're like, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And he's, he's the head of USA basketball for a reason. You know, he's got the experience, but he also, he's one of those guys that gets it, gets the big picture. And so. Um, he knows, you know, that we're fighting an uphill battle and the ratio of, of, um, you know, practice to play is, is not where it needs to be, but you know, the fundamentals of the game and the, and the things that could be taught, you know, it's just sad that we've invented this sport and it's became such a global game and, and, you know, we're not producing, you know, we're lucky that, you know, we have a few of the, the basketball players that we do have because most of the guys, are coming from other countries that are in this league now. And so, um, you know, that's a sad thing. We, we've invented this sport and we should be, you know, at the top of the top of the top, you know, always and forever. And I think if we could, you know, spend time investing in coaches and teaching them, you know, how to better prepare players and develop players, it would take some time, but I think it, it would be a, a heck of a lot better. The, <laughs> the AAU part for the exposure, I like, I had almost even forgotten about that, but I guess that like is the point is you're just trying to travel to be seen because you're hoping to go to the next level of college ball. The five to one ratio when you're talking about AAU is not for development. Is there a way, are there things parents could hear? Would parents want to pay? And I don't even know how much AAU, I'll just make a number like three grand. So am I paying three grand for my kid to play four weekends, but they get 
what would that be? Five to one, 25 practices. So the month of July, we play every weekend in July, but we practice every weeknight, right? Like for two hours, would that be the ideal situation? We're a group of 10, 10 elite kids from a local area. We find a centralized gym. We meet up. We do these side games so that we're not in a situation where it's our top five and then the bottom kids are on the bench. And out of the top five, only one is engaged with the ball at a time. But we focus more on inner squad, not exactly scrimmages, but games, read and react. That would be more beneficial. Yeah, I mean, just it doesn't have to be necessarily with their team. It's just, are you playing basketball every day? Are you working on your skills, you know, on a daily basis where you can actually perform well in games and be good enough to be seen by a college coach? You know, it's just, it's like kids, you know, I, I work out kids every day, you know, seven days a week, and kids will get so frustrated at themselves, right? Like they're missing shots or they just can't, they keep turning the ball over, turn the ball over, turn the ball over. And then, you know, you pull them aside and you say, look, you, you know, how many shots did you shoot yesterday? Well, I didn't shoot, I didn't shoot at all yesterday, you know. Okay, what about the day before? Well, I, I didn't shoot much. We had a lunch break and I went down there for the gym for 10 minutes or something. And the day before, what did you shoot? Well, I shot, yeah, I shot like, this kind of shot around my friends. And I'm talking about like a real workout where you shot, you know, where you charted, where you went through a real structured workout to help you get better as a player. No, I had done that. And, you know, I did that like a week ago. And then it's like, so why are you so upset? <laughs> like yeah. you just think that you're going to be able to make shots. You just think you're going to be able to not turn the ball over. I do like when that. is the last time you played one-on-one or two-on-two or three-on-three after school with your friends or, you know, I'm not doing that. And it's like these kids just, and I know it's society these days, but they just think it's like, they're just going to magically wake up one day and be able to shoot the ball or magically wake up and be this great ball handler against pressure. And it's like, I feel that's like, not how it works. You know, you? we, we, I played outside every single day, every single day for my whole childhood to get, to become a good basketball player. You know, I went out and shot every single day. And so it takes time and it's, and it's takes patience and it takes this passion to, have player-led development and want to be good at something. So it's just the ratio of kids that they just think they're going to perform in games, but they're not ever working on their skills, whether it's blocked by their self or whether it's one-on-one with their friend after school for an hour and getting shots or whatever it is. Or you just go to a local court and you like face a stranger. So absolutely, I, I had I had these kids who I did travel ball for a little bit a couple of years ago. They were in third grade, so then they were my players in eighth grade. Coach, let's get a summer workout. Coach, let's get. So we're like, I have like open gyms, and they're like, Coach, we're trying to hoop. It's a Friday. It's not open gym. I'm like, All right, dude. Well, I got a couple hours. Like, let's meet up by some basketball courts. So I get there, and there's three courts, like a full court setting, and then one side court. So the one dude's been there. And he's just sitting on the bench and I'm looking at the two full courts and they're running like two games of like a two on two a three on three or something. The numbers are screwed. I'm like, dude, why aren't you playing? He's like, I'll know them. I'm like, that's the point of basketball. Like you roll up and you're just like, yo, I got next. Or you roll up and you're like, you need a fifth. Hey fellas, you want to go full court? Oh, you playing 21? Let's go. Right. And like, that's how I grew up. Like you met people and you just figured out where you stood yep. in the pecking order. And then these dudes are like looking around, they throw up a bum layup and they're looking around and I'm like, 
who are you looking for, dude? Like, are you calling a foul? (laughs) Do you want the ball or what? And it was a very weird dynamic. My profession, when I'm training now, I actually, I, I work at the home office of Walmart. And so that wasn't a planned thing. It was the thing where I was training all these athletes in this big fitness facility. They have the Walton Fitness Center, which is a huge, you know, it's got two full courts and, sauna three pools i mean it's just massive facility and i was going training athletes all the time and so they ended up hiring me long story short so i'm the basketball trainer i got my picture on the wall and everything it's it's nuts (laughs) but at the home office of walmart of all places but um you you have to i just did this literally a week ago true story kid's name is joseph one of the kids i uh, just started training recently and i i teach i said hey come here i want to show you something because we're working on this stuff, but you, your mom works here at this facility. I want you to start coming in here daily and playing one-on-one and two-on-two and three-on-three. And I'm going to, I want you to practice that. So we walk over to the court, we go over to the dividers and we walk across and I said, okay, here's, here's two or three kids right here. Now, if you saw them playing, would you, would you go talk to them? And he kind of looks at me, he goes, no, I, I would just go the other, I would walk the other way. And I said, okay, so just watch this. And, and I said, just come on. And I said, hey, hey, guys, what's your name? And he goes, oh, my name's Chris. And what's your name? My, my name's Jake. I said, hey, man, I'm John. This is Joseph. I said, you guys want to play some two-on-two? And they were like, heck, yeah, man, let's go. Let's play two-on-two. Right? <laughs> and, I looked up, and I looked over at him, and I said, that's how easy it is. I said, was that? I mean, it's not. Yeah. Now, you have to have that kind of quick five-second rule of that fight or flight. And you just got to say, I'm going to go over there and introduce myself. And just say, hey, you want to play one on one? What's the worst thing they're going to say to you? No, I don't want to play one on one. Okay, hey, I just, you know, thanks for thanks for your time, and you walk off. But I said you have to start doing this. You, I, I got to start coming into this facility to train other kids, and I got to see you on these goals playing one on one, two on two, three on yeah. three. You're, you're going to have to play a lot of basketball because he's a kid that wants to go and make the ninth grade team. But these these high schools in my area are enormous. You know, 2,000 plus students in every high school, you know, there's seven high schools and every one of them's got 2,000 students. And so it's like, if you want to make that competitive basketball team, you're going to have to play a lot of basketball. And it can't be something where a trainer has to come and, and, and initiate the conversation to get you to go play basketball. And what you just said is exactly it. It's like these kids today, they don't know how to go and have a conversation. They don't know how to coping skills and how to react to situations and it's like hey you just got to go up there and say hey i'm so and so you want to play and they can say yes or they can say no but you got to start taking initiative and so i that's just one example it just happened this last week but i do that all the time with kids trying to teach them how to initiate conversation whether it's playing basketball or whether it's it's something else but a lot of kids are just they live in this kind of fear like no i don't i'm scared and i realize you know, in our day, the world is a little bit more dangerous of a place. I get it. Some bad things have happened all across the world that we're like, hey, man, you can't just go talk to strangers and do these things. But when you're in a place like the, the Walton Fitness Center and kids are still not taking it, they're still scared, it's, it's, it's nuts. <laughs> it's like, hey, well, you got to learn these skills. These are going to help you in life. You know, forget yeah. about basketball. Just go up and introduce yourself. Yeah, it's- And so – uh, dude, I caught it with my daughter um, early on where I outlawed the words play date. I'm like, dude, just say hang out. Can it not be scheduled? And I feel like so much of basketball and like training is like, yeah, I play basketball. I hoop. Oh, when do you hoop? Between like eight to 10 when my trainer comes. And you're like, 
Well, don't like. Do you ever just play at like three o'clock when you're bored? Like, do you ever oh. just ride your bike to the park and see who's out there? And like, do you remember like driving by the park and you see a dude throwing up shots and you're like, fuck yeah. And like, you're like, yes, someone to go against you pull in and you're like, we're going to hoop. And it's or like you, whatever, like you call all your friends and you're like, yo, let's meet at the court in like a half hour. And I was watching yep. white man can't jump. I'm hyped. Were you hyped? Yep. Let's go and let's get it. And like, it just seems like it's like, well, can coach let me in the gym? And it's like, why do you need coach to let you in the gym, dude? Some of it is just artistic, creative, uh, uh, like ability, exactly. fun, flow. And it's, it, that really is the more I deal with kids. It's like, that's kind of what's missing is like, y'all don't ever just go play. Y'all need it to be structured. You need the supervisor. If things go bad, you need the adult to step in to figure it out. Y'all need more recess, just free play unsupervised. Man, you're we could have a whole other podcast on that because you're exactly right. And that's what I preach to players is like, Hey, look, man, this got nothing to do with me. How good you want to be. You can take these principles, but if you're not working out by yourself the other five, six days a week, what I teach you, what any coach, what any parent tells you, or teach, it does, none of that will matter. You're never going to be as good as you want to be unless what you just said. Like, did you have an imaginary friend when you were little? Did you have an imaginary <laughs> Hey, keep that imaginary friend or go bring her or him back and, and let them – they're out there guarding you one-on-one. No and go make moves and work on your shot, work on your skills and – and have an imagination because it'll take you a long way, you know, but it's gotta be what you just said. It's player led development, not coach led, not a parent has to organize things. Yeah. And man, it, this generation, it just baffles me. And, and I'm not one of these. Oh yeah. Hey, I get that. There are so many great things that generation does that our generation didn't, but man, the coping skills and the creativity and the, uh, of just being able to go and not have anything planned and organized, Hey, we can have that argument all day because they are severely lacking in that, in that department. Dude, it made me think about this. And again, the school I teach in, everybody has iPads, right? So I, I have a lunch duty and I'm watching kids and I believe this is actual science. Although I might need like a fact checker if I could hire one, but I feel like I've read, if you watch a workout video, you almost feel like you have worked out. Like there's some level of satisfaction. If I watch some dude throw up whatever, 200 pounds, 12 reps, three sets, I feel like I've benched that on some level where if I had not watched that, I would have the need to work out. So it's almost like eating junk food. So now I think of these kids on their phones and I watch what they watch on YouTube and they're steady watching sports. The people who love sports steady watch sports. And I wonder if it's almost like an empty calorie fill where if they watch a half hour of highlights, they feel like they've put in 20 minutes, 15 minutes, a half hour of work themselves where really you you haven't done anything. And I wonder if the access is a part of it where people like you and I growing up, we didn't have that kind of access. Like you had said, like I was happy to catch a game. I was happy to catch white man can't jump. Cause it's on like whatever cable. And you're like, Oh dude, that's a great movie. Like let's go. Absolutely. And it was, it, I really wonder how much of a factor watching play versus actually playing is on kids desire to play. Yeah, I, 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 exactly. I feel like 
watching it does have benefits. Playing video games and having to react does have benefits. But I think when you can use those things and then go out and mimic and practice those things, it's got even more of a benefit. And so what you just said, I think kids now, they just, they're not going out there and practicing and trying to mimic what they see, which is what we did. We would VHS tape something and see a game. And then, you know, we got the 50th, you know, all-star and we we've taped it on vhs and we watch it we mimic that the driveway and one-on-one and moves and and kids today it's like they may watch it but they're they're not going out and having that kind of player-led development trying to mimic and just and just be creative and and um you know go out and practice and work on their skills yeah maybe that like you said maybe they're getting their fix from just being able to watch it it's such a you know watch our phones world now that you know maybe they get their they get their feel on just being able to, to see it. Dude, know? even 2K. And I, and I don't want to sound too much like an old man with my gray beard, but like, <laughs> I, do you, do you play 2K at all? Or are you a. No, I've never been. A, when I was a college basketball player, all my teammates, man, they just, all they did was video games. But my last good video game life was when I was really young. For whatever reason, I stopped at the original Nintendo, but oh, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm ADHD. So I'm a very, I got to like move and be hands on. But, but, I watched more video games than I played in high school. My friends all did it. College, my te- I mean, my teammates, all they did was play every video game you can think of. So, dude, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so you you can go my player and the control that you have on being able to make moves. So like jab step, fade away, Kobe, the Dirk move, like up and unders, like the amount of control and individual skill you can display in a two K game. Versus what it was like growing up with like, whatever, like, like with, <laughs> with Nintendo. Yeah. With an A and a B button. Like you've got, yeah. you know, you've got one up, down, left, right now we've got two and we've got four buttons and we've got two options with our other fingers there. It's insane. So I really do wonder if like kids see some stuff and then they go to 2k my player and they're just straight up getting their fill of I've dominated because my rating is great. <laughs> And then they never go out to actually want to dominate. I, I'm, I don't know, man. I might conduct. I might try to hire some scientists, some philosophers. Yeah, and it, and it does. It, I have studied some video game. You know, it... oh no, coach. So you froze for a moment there. Hopefully, you come back. I don't know if you can hear me. And it's like, well, it does actually have some benefits, but um, it, it's it doesn't have benefits when that's all they do. It's just the only thing they do. So I'm not totally, you know, it's not like video games are bad, but it's like, if that's all they're doing, then we got some problems. Yeah. Well, especially if you want to be a hooper, like you can't think you've hooped. If you, (laughs) if you put in two hours on 2k and 20 minutes on the court, like, all right, man, Yeah, that's not a good, that's not a good ratio for sure. You practice sitting more than you did. Oh yeah. Coach, I'm curious about you on more of a personal level. Um, the college scholarship and why that was such a big deal to you. Well, I think it's just a, it's a competitive thing. Um, You want to prove, you know, that you put in the work to belong. And, you know, again, I I grew up playing competitive sports. I was ADHD. So I was always outside and, and I feel like my dad being a military guy, and, you know, my mom being more of an academic and just holding you to high standards. I feel like that was just built. My grandmother was a, a high school volleyball coach and she's in the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. She was very successful. 
And um, I, I just, that discipline and um, being outside and doing athletic things, I think it's built that competitive, um, you know, that having your dad as a military, my dad used to say, you know, um, you know, I was like James, you know, 007, James Bond, you know, he would say, okay, your mission you know, if you choose to accept it, then he would give you a task. And it was just like, you wanted to please, you know, you wanted to please him. You wanted to, you wanted to, to complete the task. You wanted to complete the mission. And so I think just building that competitive, you know, thing from a, you know, from a young age. And then it's just like, man, I love this and I want to do it at the highest level. I want to compete against other really good players. And I, I was never one of these kids these kids today are D one or bus. I never had that mentality. I just wanted to go play basketball at the next level. I made a, I made a goal in like seventh grade. It's like, you know, I, I really want to play college basketball. I love it. And, and that's what I want to do. And I'm going to try to do everything I can to be the best athlete I can be and, and be the best player I can be. And then once you start getting a lot of division one scholarships, you know, I think I had 10 by the time I was a sophomore in high school. Well, then it changes your perspective. It's like, well, now I, it's not a D one or, bus mentality it's just a i'm good enough to play at this level because you know i've got 10 different coaching staffs already telling me that i am and they've offered me a scholarship and so then it's like well i want to get 10 more scholarship offers i want to even you know it just feeds the i think once you have confidence and success and you start going against different players and you start getting compared to different players and you know it just builds that competitive fire that you want to just keep continuing to get better and better. And, and um, do you remember, you know, me, I, I'm sorry, but I'm super curious no, when fine. you were like 10 offers, how much does the fa- first offer stand out to you or does it at all? Like when you were like, Holy shit, I am on this level kind of a deal. Yeah. It's um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, it's very humbling. I, I remember just being like, wow, you know, like this is real. And you're, when you're from a small town, you know, you're, you got as many people that tell you you're not going to be able to do it that tell you that you are going to be able to do it. And so it is it, it, it never like, Oh, I got to prove people wrong, but it was like, I belong. I'm good enough. I spend enough time at this that I'm going to continue to get better. And, and, you know, around that age, is when you'll see to me, I, you know, I wish they would write a book about it, but I feel like around that 10th grade age, I think when kids start getting more freedoms, like mom and dad say, Hey, you know, you can go do what you want to do now. Here's the key, you know, Hey, here's your car. Here's the, you don't have to be in at a certain time. Now, now you get to go, you basically become more independent and you get to decide what you're going to do with those. Right. Cause you're going to sleep for eight or nine hours and you're going to go to school for eight hours. And so now we got, you know, about eight hours left. And, you know, what are you going to do with that time? And I think around that 10th grade, you know, age is when kids become independent and they have this freedom to, I can go get me a girlfriend. I can get a boyfriend. I can go hang out with my friends. I can go party. I can go drive around. I can go hang out at the parking lots. I can go. And so kids that were really good at a young age, all of a sudden, I mean, how many times, you know, if I had money for every time a guy says, man, that kid was better when he was a freshman high school than he is now as a senior or man that girl just never i I saw her a couple years ago and she was i think she was better when she was a sophomore and i think it's because they put in all this work and maybe it was organized by a parent and they were made to take them to certain things and they and they were doing these training sessions and now it's like you get this independent 
freedom that you can go do what you want with that time instead of a parent telling you what you had to go do. And all of a sudden, yeah, I got me a job and yeah, I'm going to go hang out with, you know, I got a girlfriend and I just don't shoot as much as I used to shoot. And all of a sudden you see these players hit this plateau and I never still to this day, I've never hit a plateau when it comes to basketball. I feel like I'm a better coach today than I was yesterday. You know, being talking to you right now, I feel like I'm getting better at my craft. I just feel like I've always had the it's not good enough and I can do better and I can learn more mentality. And I think players around that age, they they get to decide, they get to be more intentional what they do with their time and they choose a comfort zone. They choose to do things that take them further away from what they really want to be. They say, I want to be a division one player. I want to be, I want to play in college, but it's like, okay, well, simple question. What do you do with your time? Like, well, I didn't, I didn't do this. I didn't shoot. I didn't lift. I didn't, well, it's not, it's going to happen. I mean, there's a, this is a global game now and there's only so many scholarships. And now that COVID's hit and the transfer, I mean, there, these scholarships are very little. And for you to be that good, you're going to have to put a heck of a lot more work and be very much more intentional with your time than you are. And so, um, you know, I feel like that, you know, is where I, w- I would go with that question. Yeah. So you, <laughs> you ditched the girlfriend and you picked up Wilson <laughs> Spalding. You dated Spalding. And, and, and I'll be honest. In a dark gym. I did have a girlfriend, but I'm going to tell you something about my girlfriend in high school. Number one, she, she, she was a valedictorian. Oh. <laughs> she was a valedictorian. So number one, who was really the smartest in, in the entire school? Me. Okay. Number two, <laughs> number two, she was the starting point guard on the girls varsity team. So she was a great passer and she mm. was an average rebounder. And so again, <laughs> I, I had help with my studies. I had the best tutor in the country, right? She's, you know, I think she's like a, a surgeon or, you know, a doctor, you know, today. Um, but it's one of those things where she was a great rebounder, a great passer, and she helped me with study. I mean, you, you can't get a better girlfriend for a, for a basketball player, for a wannabe, you know, Division One college basketball player in high school. That's about as good as it gets. <laughs> what were your um, measurables? Like, what was your height and weight in high school? Oh, in high school, in high school, I was probably 5'11", 170 pounds, maybe. Uh, uh, I think I'm six foot now, 185 pounds. My playing weight was anywhere from 190 to 200 in college at six yeah, foot tall. So, you know, it's always been between, you know, 170 and 200. <laughs> that that. Five eleven. Um, I forget the guard's name who just uh, tore his ACL from a uh, Villanova. Is it Gilles- Gillespie? <coughs> yes. Are you familiar? Yeah. So like, there seems like there. Ohio State always has that dude. Duke will mess around and have that dude that like undersized. But even those guys are like six two, six three ish. You know, and they just almost lack the yep. athleticism to go NBA and be successful. The five eleven six foot era for the white white dudes seems like it's almost a, almost a death sentence towards next level dreams unless you have that work ethic. Absolutely, yep. And you got to be. And, and, and the thing is, too, is the reason I was able to play. People always talk about shooting, but I was a very athletic, you know, kid. It wasn't. I, I was. I can jump and I was very fast and quick. I mean, I never lost a sprint. You know, I was, I never lost an agility drills. 
And so it's not like I was just this slow, you know, white kid that can make shots. The reason I was able to play at the Division One level, and I never forget this, my first offer was from Southeast Missouri State University. It's a school in the OBC Conference, Ohio Valley. And the coach said, I came here to watch you play because all I wanted to know was, are you laterally quick enough to be able to guard another team's point guard? And he said, and you are. You're more than quick enough to guard another team's point guard. But that's the only reason I came to watch you. I knew about your shooting and your skill and, and all this, and but I just wanted to know if you could – are you fast enough, are you quick enough to be able to guard? And so I tell players that all the time is, man, you can be this great shooter, but you better be an athlete because mm-hmm. at the Division One level, things are so fast. I mean, that's that's one of the things that the, – the strength and the speed and the athleticism of players, the skill level, especially now, is pretty much about the same. But the speed – the strength, the athleticism, the lateral speed, the quickness is on a different level, the higher level you go. And in the NBA, it's even higher than that. So the court just shrinks and shrinks and shrinks, which means, again, your cognitive ability has to be super quick. You have to be able to make super quick decisions because the court shrinks the higher level you go, becomes so much quicker and, and more athletic. And so, um, you know, that was that was what allowed me to play, you know, at that level. Did you feel, did you ever try to go to like Europe or did you have any NBA interest? Did you wind up having an agent? Like how did that play out for you? Numerous overseas offers, Uh, Iceland, Greenland, had a few offers uh, in Europe, but it was just one of those things where, you know, at that time, it wasn't long after 9-11, you know, it was 2003, and it was a scary time to leave the country. Mm. Um, and at that time, you know, it was like I could I could chase this dream, and I love basketball. I could go play overseas and, and get a contract, but it's going to be short-lived. And I felt like it, it, it was long. I mean, it took me a month to make a decision to whether to go overseas or whether just to go ahead and move on with my coaching career. And, and I just felt like I could – I felt like I was a really good player but I felt like I could be even a better coach. I feel like I could help, you know, impact more lives. I feel like I could help players get to a level they want to be at. And so it was that hard decision of, do I want to go ahead and further my education for free yeah. and be a graduate assistant coach in a place I'm comfortable with? Or do I want to go to a country I've never been in a very scary time to leave our country? And, you know, after about a month of back and forth and, I was gone. I was headed to Spain. I was going to go pl- I mean, like, you know, I was, there's all these different places I was going to go. And, and, and all of a sudden it became, no, I, I'm going to stay here and, and be a graduate assistant and, and uh, further my education and get a master's degree and, and plus that. And so that's what I chose. And I, and, and I'm glad I did, you know, there are parts of me that were like, what if, but at the same time, I knew that was the best thing for me at that time. And Dude. I just, I'm not these kind of second guesser guys. So, I'm a total second guesser, <laughs> especially if it's not my life. Well, you know, and, it's always it's always that kind of what if. Yeah, but, you know, it's well, not like I'm I'm not depressed about my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean like that, <laughs> but like it's almost like the uh, what was that um movie Hostel, where like you yeah. go around and you're like traveling the nation, right? And the but Hostel ended terribly, but I'm thinking of like someone in their early twenties that you're athletic. 
you have this profession, you get to see the world. Like that just seems like such a cool opportunity and putting myself in your shoes for the 30 seconds, minute and a half. I'm like, God, to have the discipline to think coaching over that like self-indulgent experience to want to serve others versus seek glory for yourself. I don't know if I'm making that decision at that early, especially if I've had success, like, like dude, and I don't know about your college career, but just seeing the the clip of 59 points on fucking three point shooting as a junior, like clearly you (laughs) could get a bucket. It would be hard for me to give that up. No shade. Yeah. No, and, no shade and it was, it was, I was, I was, I had a great career. My last two years are my best. Um, you know, at times throughout my career, I was averaging, you know, 20 points for five and six game stretches, but my senior year, I think I was third and three pointers made in the conference. And I led the Sunbelt conference, you know, there's only 31 division one conferences at that time. And I led the Sunbelt three point percentage at like 44%. Um, so it, I really felt like, it's it's so funny that you said that because I felt like when I was my senior year of college, I was like, man, in my mind, I'm like, man, I'm really starting to get good. I'm just now really starting to figure this thing out. And so, again, it just goes back to that growth. Like, I always tried to get better and better each off season and and get get better, get quicker at my shot, get better with you know shooting contested shots and extend my range. And and um, I felt like I was you know getting better and. You know, looking back, if I wouldn't have been given the graduate assistant opportunity, I would have been overseas. I mean, it was a done thing, but it was that was what I my plan was was to go overseas and play basketball for you know five six years, and then when the graduate assistant uh, thing was thrown at me and it was free education, uh, it just became you know it, it was something that kind of switched and it was like education can never be taken from me, and you know I think I can I can serve in the coaching and. I'm going to come back to coaching anyway. I always, always enjoyed it watching my grandmother coach and being able to teach my grandfather was a teacher. And I, that's just what I wanted to do. And I felt like I was always going to come back to that regardless. So it was like, do I want to do that now? Because I don't know if I would have came back as a 30 year old and went back into grad school, if that makes sense. And that was kind of my final straw was like, uh, if I don't do it now, I'm probably never going to do it. I'm probably going to come back and, and just have a, you know, and I'm not saying I'm not knocking an undergrad degree, but I wanted to get a master's degree in education, exercise science, and um, to be able to do that for free. And again, I say for free, I had to work my butt off and be, yeah. you know, as a graduate assistant and debt I had all free. the crap work. I feel like goes, debt but... free is the better way to say it, right? <laughs> to be able to get yeah. that debt free. That's it. That's exactly it. Graduating debt free after seven years of college. I mean, yeah. I, I took my fifth year to get my undergrad and I took my, the, the next two years. So I was a graduate assistant for three years. And so, um, man, that was a, it was an invaluable experience. I mean, I wouldn't take it back for the world. And so I feel like I, I feel like I got a lot more out of being able to coach high level athletes at that young of an age that were, some of them were my teammates and I, and I'd already built respect for my work ethic and, and player development stuff. And so, I feel like I learned a lot more from that experience than I would have of going to play overseas, you know, and now I, I may have learned a little bit more about culture and, and, you know, some diversity and things, you know, overseas, but as far as, you know, my coaching, um, you know, career, I felt like that was the best decision. And, and obviously I've been coaching, you know, my entire life since that day. So it's, it's worked out. 
what's what's the money an influence and i'm completely ignorant to it and i mean no disrespect but you hear nba contracts and i overseas max player or whatever it is was the money much of a carrot or was it like ah, i could earn money this way or i could it was basically like a almost like a middle class salary or was it more than that where you're missing yeah, some sort of bank i had a couple different you know, I had one that was fifty thousand a year, and again, it's tax-free money, and you, they give you a uh, give you a car, and they give you an apartment that you live in. I mean, there are things that were perks. Um, you know, in Iceland, it was a similar situation. It was thirty-eight thousand a year. I mean, there were different contracts, you know, on the table. But at the same time, you know, now, you know, again, to say, yeah, well, I mean, if it's if it's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar you know, that's thing, what I was I'm, wondering. It's not even a discussion, right? Okay. I mean, it's, it's immediately getting over there, but because everybody you know, has a number, that's kind of what I was wondering. Like, were you hoping <laughs> for a number? Like, did you have a number that was two fifty a quarter mil? Was that like, no, I don't care. <laughs> well, if, if I get offered a quarter mil, I would have, I would have taken off. Yeah. <laughs> even in those scary times, I would have said, hey, it's you know, it's worth that. But um, but no, it, it's just one of those things where I, I just felt like at that time with the contracts that were on the table and the, and the countries that were, you know, wanted to sign me, I just felt like the better, the better thing for me was to stay there and coach and, and become a graduate assistant. Yeah, that makes sense. And again, I've never been in the world, but when you say numbers like 38,000, 50,000, and you compare it to the money you can make with a master's degree as teachers, you're kind of like, it's yeah, almost comparable. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, yeah. it's kind of comparable, man. And it's there's a lot more security in staying than going. Um, you had said something Absolutely. that was super... I feel like it might get overlooked where you're like, man, I was averaging 20 points a game for like five or six games. I think people yeah. underestimate on any level how hard it is to get 20. And I, I, oh, I've, I've never been able to figure that out. Like... <laughs> Dudes I coach in middle school can get buckets and like nobody drops 20. And in the NBA, you take it for granted that a dude in the NBA drops 20. And then you think back to like youth league, middle school, high school, like your stud doesn't really average 20. It's an anomaly to average 20. Do you have theories on that? Like, why is it so hard to get 20? Well, because again, it's just such a, you know, you have to have such a high level of skill and defenses are, are better and they're made to, to stop players from getting, you know, 20 and, and then they switch and they trap and they do all these different things. But yeah, it's, it's that's a lot of points. And, and when somebody says, oh yeah, I'm averaging 20, it's like, geez, that's, that's a lot of, a lot of points. Um, you know, I, I think I averaged maybe nine, one of my years in college. And I mean, I thought that was a lot because you have those 20 point games here and there and, and, um, you know, you're, you're definitely your starter and you're, you have this huge role in the team, but, um, yeah, that, you know, when you're saying, oh, I average 25 in high school, it's like, okay, great. But it's, it's a whole different level. And, and to, for me to play on a division one level, you know, that's, that was just a, such a different level than I was used to the playing the competition when I was playing, you know, small basketball in Southeast Missouri, and then go to that division one level where you're playing teams from, you know, New Mexico and, Florida International and Miami and you're, you know, you go, you're Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee State and you're going all over the country, North Texas to play basketball at a high level. That's a, that's a different, different animal, you know, altogether. And so, yeah, when, if somebody's scoring 20, that's, that's incredible. 
especially in today's age, because, you know, you're going to have to spend a lot of time, you know, owning on your craft to be that, to be that good and that skilled because defenses are made to shut you down. You know, <clears throat> what were, what'd you average in high school? Like senior year, was that your points per game average? Were you more like a shooting guard? Yeah, so I, th- I think I scored 700 points my senior year of high school Holy in a season shit. with less than 30 games. So 26, you know, 26 and a half. I mean, I had a great senior year. Um, but, you know, again, it's high school. It's small-level basketball. I know people in that small town probably think it's high-level basketball. But then yeah, right? it's probably never been out of the small town either. You definitely haven't been out of the state. But there, it's just such a such a global game. And, and I have players – you know, I have players on my team from Puerto Rico, from Russia, from, you know, Australia, from, I mean, we can go on down the list. And so, um, you know, it's just a, it's a global game and it's, it's um, very, very high level. And it's, it, I just posted a tweet today about, you know, it's great that, you know, these players say I'm, bl- I'm blessed to receive an offer, but that's just the beginning. And it's a whole different level than what you're used to. So don't, I mean, I, I, we want you to be, you know, you want to celebrate that success, but at the same time, man, your, your world just beginning. It's a whole different level and, and you've never been held that accountable. You've never been probably coached that hard. You've never been disciplined that much. And so it just goes to a different level when you go up to, to that next level of, of play. <clears throat> was there a co- when you say coached hard, what was the adjustment for you from <laughs> high school to college? Well, you know, number one, it, it's in high school, whether you win games or lose games, you're probably not going to be fired for the most part. It's, it's obviously a different world now, but back then it was just like, it's, this guy's the coach and if he wins, he wins. If he doesn't, hey, there's always next season in college. It's you, you win or we we're going to fire you. And so there's so much more demanding. Number one, you have more resources of coaches. So we've got, you know, four on the staff, you got two, you know, graduate assistant coaches, you have a player development coach, you have a um, assistant to the head coach who's there for practices and he'll come over there and throw a cuss word your way or whatever it is. But it's just, um, you're held to a higher standard. You're, you, you got coaches that'll just pick out a player and just be in them all day to see how they respond. You know, whereas in high school, it was like, this guy's my friend, this guy teaches my science class and this guy doesn't even, He's looking at his, you know, the newspaper half the practice, whatever it is. And so, um, you know, it's just one of those things where it just goes up a notch. It goes to a different level. And, um, you know, it, that's that's what I mean by coached, you know, hard. Is it, It's just everything is washed. There's not a, you know, it's like everything is planned meticulously by to the minute in a college practice. You know, and there's no bull crap. I mean, it's like, you know, in my college practices, it was like, hey, we're not here to have fun. We're here to, it's it's a serious business and we're here to work. And so, um, you know, I wish we had these newer age coaches now when I played in college because, you know, these guys that are about, you know, mental health and and being about the individual player and all that because I didn't have that, you know, in my in my college days. And no one did. No, it was not the times. You know, in the in the late '90s, early 2000s, it was it was a lot tougher up in your face. Uh, you know, coaching mentality. I mean, today, you know, Tom Izzo will get up and get in the guy's face and yell oh, a little bit. Yeah, right? The whole world will go, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that! I Grabbed cannot him believe so it!" Hard. I'm like, thinking, "You were never at one of my college practices because I got you know we were into it every day. I mean, that was just part of it." So. Uh, but it's a different world, you know. It's a social media world where everybody sees and hears every little right. thing that's said, and so. 
coaches lose jobs over that. I mean, it's just a, it's a different world. And, and I'm not trying to say it's better or worse. It was just, that was the time, yeah. you know, when I played. I, I think it's, we had said this <laughs> earlier and I think it was about when you were teaching and I know it's me, like I coach middle school basketball and I take it pretty seriously. And I try to block out and schedule. I try to do nothing for more than 15 minutes. And that's even stretching. it. I love 10 minute. I really love like five minute quick hit one focus. This is what you do. Let's roll. Let's build horn goes clock goes boom, 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 roll water break. Like water breaks are planned. I'm stupid like that. Right. But that's not my job. My job is to help kids read better. So the majority of my day is spent focused on how do I get kids to read better? And then coaching, which is an additional job that I don't make any kind of extra money for. I mean, I might clear a thousand dollars for three months at 20 hours a week while taking kids home and buying them snacks and all the extras that come with it. So when I think next level, you're like, you go from a dude that you're hoping he cares enough to plan practice every day to the only way he keeps his paycheck is with wins. That to me is the biggest jump in like how serious dudes take where my positioning is when I set a screen or did I really rub the man on that screen when I was coming off of it? Like, why do you care about that three inches coach? Oh, your six figure a year job depends on it. And you might have to move to Maine. If I screw this up, if I don't shoot 40% from three, your kids have to go to a new school. Yeah. And the more successful you are. and, And so like my college coaching staff, they just went to the NCAA tournament. So they had won the Sunbelt Conference tournament. And they had to go play Utah in the first round. That's when I signed my letter of intent, you know, because that was a – so now it's like, oh, well, you got to do that every year, Coach. Like, yeah. why are we not going to the NCAA tournament? And, and it's like they've never been to the NCAA tournament. That was the first time, like, you know, and, and that's what success does is it, it, it makes people just feel like, well, that should happen all the time. Yeah. And that's the far – I mean, it's hard to be – that successful it's hard to get one opportunity a year in a mid-major conference it's like hey you know we're not gonzaga you got to win the sunbelt conference tournament if you want to go to the big dance you know we're not one of these power five conferences and so um you know like you said it becomes this is what they spend their whole entire day trying to do is get to that next level to win, to keep their job or to win, to go to the next big job, right? right. <laughs> to get a power five conference, to get them to hire them. Whereas you're worried about, man, what time's our freaking lunch break? And yeah. are we going to have virtual day today or, or not? No you know? and so Do I have a meeting? It's definitely a different world, but, but it doesn't make it any less important. You know, it, it's the, the, the titles mean nothing. It's just different. They're, they're coaches that are better. I know middle school coaches that are better than NBA coaches that I know dead serious. It's really? just the fact that it's just different. The notoriety, the, the, the publicity that comes with the NBA and the, the press conference and all that stuff, but it's just different. It doesn't make it any less important. You, you can coach, you can coach, uh, but it's just, that's a different level. And that's what that level requires as far as, you know, the, uh, the glam that comes with, uh, with that professional level. <clears throat> Have you, I, I can tell you this, I can tell you this. I worked with, Every NBA all-star you can work with, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, and the list goes on, Andrew Wiggins, and those players are no different than a middle school player. They come in, and they want to work 
on something that helps them get better as players. They want to have fun while doing it, but it's like, man, I'm here to get better. Like I'm not here to, you know, do this and that. I'm just here to have some conversations, keep it light, but let's put in some hard work and get better. Let me get in here and get better. And let's get out of here. Let's get out of the gym. And so, you know, people ask me all the time, like, Oh man, they're, they're so, they have bad attitudes or they're, they feel entitled. And it's like, no, really in my, you know, and maybe I was, you know, very fortunate to work with pure sweat athletes, but the guys that drew had in there, they were great guys. First and foremost, probably the reason, you know, pure sweat, they're, they're that guy because drew wants to work with them. But, you know, I was helping assist, you know, all those workouts with drew and those guys couldn't be better guys. They couldn't be more respectful, you know, let's, let's get in here and get better and get out. And so, um, you know, the level doesn't impress me because when I work with local high school girls in this area, it's the same mentality. They want to get it. They want to get better. They want to be the best player they can be. And they're there to, to be, to listen, be coachable, have some fun. Let's get better coach. And I'm gonna get out of here. And so, um, you know, that's one thing that's it's the same thing with coaching, you know, knowing these coaches, it's the same thing. You're trying to help players get better. You're trying to help, you know, kids prepare for that next level. You're trying to help, you know, kids be, you know, stars in their role and help them in your system to help win games where everybody's, you know, happier and, right. and healthier. So it doesn't matter the level, <clears throat> the title. I'm not really impressed by the titles. I'm more impressed with how you treat others and are you there to, you know, to help and serve. And so. Man, that's a, <clears throat> God, that, that that's a very interesting perspective, but Again, bullet points versus summaries. Like, to me, that's the difference maker in mentality, right? Get in, put in work, move on. And that's just almost like a life skill. Like, it, what am I here to work for? Am I getting my paycheck? Cool. What's the job? Let's work. Let's get it done. Let's roll on. That's it. Coach, let me um let me get you out of here on this coach and i don't know um i tend to throw this on people i it's not a sociology experiment but i treat it like one it's just like a weird thing that i do to end my podcasts um are you familiar with what i'm about to ask you at all no <clears throat> fantastic that makes it even better which is that's that's how i like it too <laughs> no doubt right read and react <laughs> cognitive right. ability be, defense is coming at you <laughs> so no pressure take it any direction you want can i get your best first for last we've saved the best first for last sponsored by abstinence waiting makes it worthwhile first for what now Best first for last, for last. So give me an example. I feel like I bias people when I do. So I try to be clever. So best first, as in like a really cool first experience you've had, for the last thing that people listening to the podcast will get to know about you. Okay, so, um, and you know, can, I grew up in the... Go oh, ahead. No, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, and it can be basketball related. It can go anywhere. Like it could be a spur of the moment, a random little, oh, dude, this was a really cool first thing. And some people want a little bit of time to think about it. So I'll talk to try to give them some time. But I feel like no, it's no. a clever way to end a getting to know you pod. Because when you get to know someone, you get to hear about a bunch of their best first experiences. Absolutely. So 
<clears throat> when I was in college, you know, I worked for, I was a graduate assistant coach and in our, my college coach would go and speak at a lot of churches and I wasn't the best, you know, public speaker when I was in high school, I was, I was nervous. I was scared to get up in front of the class and do the math problem on the board. I was, I was that kind of kid. Now I'm the opposite of that. Now I can get up and, and speak in front of all kinds of people. And I do, but I remember when I was a graduate assistant coach, coach Nutt, my college coach, um, he would go and speak at a lot of churches and just talk about his faith and talk about, and I always thought, you know, I was, I grew up in the church, uh, in a small town of Missouri, my grandmother's, uh, you know, hometown, my, my mother's hometown. And I always used to think, you know, that would be tough to, to speak about, you know, your, your faith and, and religion in front of, you know, in front of a church. And so, um, I've still to this day never gotten up and spoken at a church, but I've had several, several FCA groups at local high schools um, have me come and speak. And so that that's kind of my first experience was that was about five years ago. And um, I've done that several times since I just did it at Bentonville High School this year, which is a huge high school. They had actually split the high school a few years back because they had over 5000 students. But um that was a neat experience because they had, you know, there were 60, 60 high school members in their FCA group. Um, and I got to speak at Gravit High School a few years back and um, to their boys team and their coaching staff. And so that's, that's kind of probably, you know, a, a first that jumps out at me because you get to talk about kind of your journey and your faith and maybe, you know, what's important to you and tr- how to, how it relates to the, you know, to the current day and, um, that's something I always enjoy is, is speaking to FCA groups. Um, just because again, I think if our job is trying to get people to see the big picture, you know, instead of just, Hey, you know, how many points did you have and what's the, what's your record. And, um, you know, for a guy that grew up in the church and I was kind of a victim of circumstance, like we talk about, you know, these kids, I didn't have a decision. I had to go, you know, my, my, my clothes were laid out. Hey, we're going to church. Let's, let's get up and go. And so, um, <clears throat> You know, and then I, I think that all the people that passed away in my family in the last, you know, eight to 10 years and, and my dad most recently and my aunt last year and my all my grandparents and my great aunts and my great uncles, and all the people that have passed away. I feel like every time I go back to that church, it's go see my mom and, and we go to that church. I feel like, you know, it's kind of helped shape me. And so when I get to go and speak about you know, my journey and and how important faith is to me and not to like, I don't try to, you know, just pressure a kid into, you know, believing in, in something, but at the same time, I I just try to, you know, express my faith and what it's meant to me. And, and I try to just encourage them to, Hey, learn more about it, you know, whether it becomes getting involved in a, a Sunday group or going to a church or getting involved in, you know, a Bible study or with your friends, you know, with, with COVID, I think there were so many things that happened like that with uh, religious groups. And, and, um, you know, again, it's just something that I've enjoyed. So that was probably my really cool first, you know, neat experience where, uh, and it's this small, you know, I feel like I'll end up speaking to a church one day, but speaking to FCA groups is something I've really thoroughly enjoyed with high school kids. <clears throat> I'm super curious when you're talking about the, um, influence of your faith in your life. And if I'm going to guess, you just seem like a servant. You seem like you want to serve. 
And I wonder if that's kind of the message you give to kids or am I completely off on that? No, that's exactly it. That's, that's what, that's the only way leadership is, is, you know, forget about you, forget about yourself and, and say, you know, take myself out of it and, and how can I help serve this? And, and, you know, I've done, it's always a constant battle because like I had a few college athletes call me the other night. And the first thing you want to do naturally is compare it to your situation. But again, it's just not, it's like, it, they just need you to listen, you know? And so serving is, is something that's obviously it's, it's talked about, you know, in the Bible and in and, and most everything these days, it's, it all starts with, that's where it kind of stems from is the Bible anyway, anything that's good anyway. And uh, all these famous authors and stuff. And it's like, that's the same thing they talk about in the Bible. You just, you just deep dove and kind of twisted it, made it your own. But um, you know, it's, it's those, it's those golden rules. It's being able to serve players, love them, care about them on and off the floor. And then guess what you get, you know, what you want, which is them becoming the best version of themselves. Um, and, and it's, it has to be this balance, right? It has to be spiritually. It has to be socially. It has to be physically. It has to be mentally, it has to be this huge balance for them to be the best version of themselves. And just being able to, like you said, serve and teach players that that balance is what's going to make you, you know, your best self is something I take a lot of pride in. It's something that's, that's the holistic approach that, that trainers and it's kind of the buzzword that they talk about now, but that's what the holistic approach is, is forget about me. How can I make you be the best version of yourself? And the only way you can do that is with servant leadership. And <laughs> While you're speaking, it just reminds me of a team and the sacrifice that's needed to make a team successful. And I know you're more on the individual training side at this point, but I'm sure it rang true. Like you can have that dude and everyone knows you're that dude, but if you're selfish and you're all about being that dude on the squad, the squad's not going to be super successful. But if you can just serve other players and try to care about them doing well, not so much worry about your own. That's when I've seen the most success because it's weird. Like it's like the universe or God or whoever, whatever rewards you for being selfless and trying to empower others. It comes back to you. And it's so hard for a good player to to realize. Exactly. It has to be by example though. So many leaders, it's like, look, you can say whatever you want, but if you're not the hardest worker, when your best player is your hardest worker. And when your best player does things right and leads by example, Oh my gosh, that's a scary team. And like you just said, if, if, if it's the opposite of that, if you got a turd, you know, and they're <laughs> out there trying to be about themselves, man, it goes the, it goes the opposite way quick. And so again, because kids are just naturally they're, they're, they're Somebody's going to be the leader. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, it's an alpha world. I mean, somebody's going to end up being the leader of your team. You hope it's not the asshole on your team. You hope it's the kid that's really good. And you hope that they have a little bit of those natural you know, leadership tendencies and they've practiced them. And, and that's what coaches have to do too, is get to give kids, you know, opportunities to practice leadership. But uh, yeah, when it, when your best player is your hardest worker and they lead by example on and off the floor, that's, that's the scariest teams, man. That's, that's, that's a recipe for big time success and an enjoyable season. Like there's no better team to coach when you feel like it's a team and you're rolling, man. Like that's what makes coaching so fun is when you get to empower players and watch them grow and blossom. It's beautiful. That's exactly right. I would, like you just said, 
the, the best coaching team, you know, what's my best team? It's not always the one that wins the most. Yeah, it's never. the one that, like you said, you get more out of less and they, everybody feels their role. There's leadership and there's this servant, like they're there for each other. Oh man. It's just, it gives you goosebumps thinking about those, those kind of teams, but not necessarily always the, you know, most skilled, but you know, you put them up against anybody because of what you just said, all the intangibles. And uh, those are what makes coaching so, so enjoyable and so fun. And it's, it's challenging, right? I mean, some years it's not going to be that way. We're going to have the, the a-holes that are on our team, but, and we got to try to find a way to reach those kids. Yeah. Uh, man, when it, when it becomes a, again, player led team, as opposed to a coach led team, woo, that's when it's fun. You know, you just stand back and say, man, well, I got, I got natural leaders on this team. I don't have to police a whole lot. I don't have to, you know, hold kids accountable to all these little things because I got kids that are holding each other accountable and they're constantly, you know, having this standard of we ain't doing that here. Like you're going to do it this way and we're going to be, you know, good because of we're doing things this way, man, that's, that's when it's fun and coaching. Like it's like the players build the floor, you know, like the coach normally sets the standard, but if the players can build the floor for what's acceptable and the players are like, we don't go below this. It's just, it, it, it's camaraderie, man. It's um, like you said, goosebumps. It's funny. It's funny. Like coach talk when coaches each think of their own team, where like I've, everyone has that like squad where you're just like, Maybe we didn't win as much, but it was just such a great year because of the vibe. Yeah. Um, Culture, man. That's the buzzword, right? That's the word in in sports is culture. And when the culture is great, man, the wins and stuff, I mean, yeah, we're going to get those. But it's it's the process of accountability, of leadership, of love, of serving others, of care. And it's just like you can, you know, you can deal with the losses. You know what I mean? It's just – so it's a great place to live in for sure. Right. So coach is, um, do you want to end with any sort of like, Hey man, click this, Hey, get up with me this way. Um, any sort of like promo stuff, throw it out right now. No, no, I don't have a lot of promo. I mean, Twitter is where I'm probably the most active on social media, uh, Facebook, you know, I do it more for a local, but my Twitter handle is at coach John Beck. And, um, you know, people, I get hundreds of DMs every week um, and people reach out, try to answer them the best I can. Um, but if anybody ever, you know, wants to reach out or, or needs to get a hold of me, that's probably the easiest way to do it. My email is coachjohnbeck at gmail.com. So I got it pretty basic, basic <laughs> handles and easy way to get a hold of me. But, um, best way to but yeah, I mean, again, I, I feel like, when we first talked, you know, podcasts, I listened to them, you know, I probably listened to six of them today. You know, I'm ice dance. I don't have a whole lot to do, but, um, I love coming on podcasts and I enjoy having conversations. And, and again, man, I learned so much from you. I mean, the, the thing about the military and the shooter thing, I mean, that was, that's something I just, uh, I make a mental note of immediately. I mean, that was something that I'll be able to, you know, help other coaches with and help players with, you know? And so, um, I really appreciate you having me on. No, man, dude, appreciate your time. And I, I feel fortunate that I was able to um, be able to be filtered through those because it happened like quick. It was just like, it, it's amazing when it's that easy. You were so pleasant and nice. You were like, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, no way yeah. this guy shows up. And it was like, yeah, yeah man, <laughs> now I'm here. And it was. Uh, it's, uh, I've never turned one down. I mean, I just, you know, immediately I was like, yep, yeah, let's do it, man. And so, yeah, that's. Yeah. 
because again, you can't sit there and talk about service and then just be like, no, I'm not going to do it, you know? And so, um, no, it was, it was immediate. I, I never turned down. If somebody wants to, if I'm humble enough to say, man, if somebody wants to sit there and listen to me talk, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk. Yeah. <laughs> so Something. I appreciate you having me. No, no, no problem. And it, it's, I don't know if it's a clean wrap up, but I don't know if it's a pure sweat vacuum, but I've spoken to maybe eight or nine different basketball people and the messages of the hard work of the service um, just continually get reinforced. And I think that's very powerful for a society that's focused, emphasized on next level. I want my kid to maximize performance. And I really think it's just like we overcomplicate it. The message I keep hearing is, it's simple. Do you enjoy it? Make it fun, put in the work and be purposeful with your work. And you're probably going to be it. successful. That's exactly right. I mean, it's like get in, get better, get out, make sure it's purposeful. And, and again, build the relationship, you know, don't just make it about the workout session, make it about, Hey, I can be, you know, a crutch, a, a person you lean on for anything on and off the floor. Uh, whether it's basketball or not, you know, I'm here to be more of a mentor and to help you and navigate this sports world. And it's tough. It's not easy. Um, and no one, you know, people that act like it's easy, it's definitely, we overcomplicate it, but it's not easy. And so, you know, kids need, need guides, they need mentors, they need people that are going to be in their corner and be there for them and, and tell them the truth, tell them the hard truth and support them. Um, and that's what you try to do, you know, and that's what, you know, pure sweat's definitely built off that model. And, and obviously, you know, if you can work with professional athletes, but again, you know, Drew will tell you the reason he's able to work with professional athletes. The reason I'm able to work with professional athletes is because we have a passion for what we do and we love to serve others. I mean, it just, yeah, we work hard and yeah, we spend a lot of time trying to learn about it as much as we can and, and try to educate ourselves and, and pass it forward. But at the end of the day, it's about, you know, the relationships you, you build and can people trust you, you know, we well, are working hard. Great. A lot, there's a lot of people that work hard, but it's like, you know, can you be trusted? Do, do they have my best interests at heart? And when you, when you have that relationship, man, the sky's the limit. Gotcha. Those are beautiful words to end with coach. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate you letting uh, people get to know you, man. Be safe. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. You stay safe. Always. Delaware is the safest place you can live. <laughs> that's right, baby. All right, man. Have a good You're one. You're my first podcast in Delaware, so that's neat. I'm I, 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 California and Colorado and Oregon and Texas and North Carolina, but I've never had one from Delaware, so that's really cool. Yeah. That's going to be my next uh, thing is I got I to gotta have a podcast in every state in the, in the United States. That's hilarious, <laughs> right? Like the RV stickers where it's like, yep. I've been to this state. You should pursue yep. that, man. That'd be actually a really neat just stupid it's thing cool. to be able to tell people, you know? Yep. And I've had, I've had, uh, a guy in, in, uh, England, I've had a guy in Australia, it'd be different out. You know, he called, Hey man, it's, it's 4am here. And I'm like, what yeah. are you doing? Like what? He's like, well, that's, you know, that's when I wake up and I wanted to get you on the podcast. And it's like, but, uh, but yeah, that's neat, man. Cool. Well, man, really if you're ever it. up here, we'll, uh, connect you now. Now you got a connection in Delaware, Southern Delaware, if you ever need it. That's awesome. <laughs> Joe Biden connection, baby. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, 
If you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.